Welcome in, everybody. Episode 53 of Four Score the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufre with you. And we are super duper pumped about a special guest we have on tonight's program, Bruce Shine. You might know him from High Heat. He was Mad Dog Russo's producer over there. And I've gotten some information from our good pal Tommy Lochran, Bruce, that you actually hosted a radio show with Pete Rose in Las Vegas way back in the day. Yeah, go figure. Pete Rose in Las Vegas. What are those two things, you know, do belonging together, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, Pete was actually in Boca Raton, yeah, for a couple of years. I was the co-host of the Pete Rose Show, and, uh, you know, much like my experience with I Heat, I loved every second of it. Pete, you know, for all his flaws, Pete Pete really is, in a lot of ways, the genuine article. We had a lot of fun doing that. That was a, about 30 years ago. It was a long time ago. Uh, I, I bet you probably have some pretty funny stories, but they might be best to be told off the air. So. <laughs> the best ones always are, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I could imagine. So, so we'll save that conversation for a later day. But we're extremely happy to have Bruce on. We got a bunch of things to cover tonight. We are two days away from opening day, ladies and gentlemen. So I know we, Rob and I did a baseball preview a few weeks back, but we'll get an even more extensive preview tonight, specifically with the two area teams, Mets and Yankees. And obviously from all his years talking baseball with Mad Dog Russo on MLB Network, Bruce is a perfect guy to interject and give his opinion on on certain issues and, and certain topics regarding baseball. And Bruce is also a big Giants fan. We spent some time over the past couple of weeks uh, talking about the Giants plans and, and the moves they've made in free agency and the moves that they have in store on draft night. Uh, so we'll get Bruce's take on some of that stuff. So we'll, we'll save the baseball for a little bit later because we're going to spend a, a good portion of our time uh, with opening day just two days away. And we'll start with the Giants, Bruce. And you know, I know you've listened to a few episodes, so you probably know where Rob and I stand on how the Giants season went last season. Uh, you went into 2020 just hoping to see progress. You have a young quarterback in Daniel Jones, new head coach in Joe Judge, a lot of young players on the team. And so if you had high expectations going in, you were probably let down. But there wasn't any reason to have high expectations because we know this Giants team is a work in progress. But now you're starting to see the foundations of a pretty good team developing a top-notch defensive coordinator in Patrick Graham, who led a top-five defense in almost every statistical category last season. And they had a couple holes on the roster. They go out. They needed to get a good weapon to solidify the offense with Daniel Jones, and they signed the top wide receiver on the market in Kenny Galladay. They needed to solidify their pass rush, and what did they do? They franchised tag Leonard Williams, bought some time for them to negotiate, bring him back on a long-term deal. Need to shore up the back end of the secondary? They bring in a Dory Jackson on a three-year contract. So – They've filled the necessary holes in free agency. And now I think it opens up the possibility for them to go in a million different directions on draft night with that number 11 pick. So if you're sitting there as Dave Gettleman, what position do you have your eyes on on draft night as an area that the Giants really need to address? Well, I, I agree with you. And I don't know if you look at 2020 as being, you know, fool's gold, so to speak. Oh, that's that's really tough to say about a team that went six and ten, but was still playing for the division title the final week of the season. I don't know philosophically if you go in, in a different direction than, than you otherwise would have. The free agent signings notwithstanding, you know, when I think of everything they've done and, and at the risk of parroting everything you just said with the moves, it reminds me of a lot, what was it, 2017, 2018, when they brought in Brandon Marshall and they added him to their artillery. And I'm like, oh, they got him, they got OBJ, they got, uh, I think they drafted Ingram. At the time. I said, this team is going to be a juggernaut. But the bottom line is, if you can't block them, you, you, can't, you can't do anything. And, and, and that team, for all the wondrous skill position players they had, 
couldn't do a thing. They opened up in Dallas that Sunday night, and they acted like they had never seen a zone blitz before in their lives. They got they got pummeled at the line of scrimmage repeatedly. It was a jailbreak on Eli every down. So to answer your question, if you wanted to key on a specific position, given the work they've already done, it still has to be that offensive line. That doesn't necessarily mean it has to be at 11. I mean, God forbid they get them and decide to draft backwards for a change and get us some much more needed you know, draft capital. But to me, as well as they played the second half of last season and the signs they've showed, I've seen that act before. So if you want me to key in on one position, uh, that kid out of Northwestern, that kid out of USC, the best of what you could find out of that offensive lineman allotment is probably the way to go. Yeah, well, you know, I've always told Andrew, too, you know, any GM worth their salt, Bruce, is going to want to build from the inside out. You know, you start off with your offensive defense, defensive lines and build it out. And it seems like as long as he's been here, get him, and now going into his fourth year coming here, you know, he, he just hasn't really solidified this offensive line yet. Now, he took some young kids last year in the draft in Pert and Lemieux. Seems like Will Hernandez, for some reason, why? It looked like he was going to work out. But last year, he had the COVID issue. He had a couple of injuries. You know, you don't know if that set him back a little bit. But it seems like that offensive line, they, although they, they ran block better because I felt like Wayne Gorman and, and Alfred Morris were just kind of in between the tackle runners. And I've been a guy critical of, of Saquon Barkley because I feel like Barkley looks to bounce it outside way too much. When he's not injured, as, as a much as a home run threat he is, Barkley goes off the beaten path sometimes and he looks to find that 40-yard home run touchdown. And you're not going to get that all the time. And I kind of thought that Goldman and Morris kind of made that offensive line look better, run blocking at least, but they still have issues in their pass blocking. Now, whether or not that's Daniel Jones holding the ball too long, or if it's the offensive line themselves, you know, we're going to see because coming into his third year now, Daniel Jones, this is the critical year. You've seen guys like Mayfield and Josh Allen take those major steps in their third year. And this is a make or break season for Daniel Jones and Gettleman. And I'd have to think that all these free agent signings, which this is not a Gettleman thing to do, restructuring contracts. He's not a restructuring contract guy. He's been on record as saying such. But I think he knows his job is in jeopardy this year. So with that 11 pick there, I could actually see him going offensive line there to try and solidify the line. Although I was just telling Tommy before the show started that I'm not enamored with any of those offensive linemen. But if they're better than what we have, somewhere where you might have to go. So give us your opinion this season coming up with Daniel Jones and what do you see? Because Daniel, Daniel Jones is a guy that Tommy brought up, and I, he's almost right to a certain degree, although I think he's a little bit more talented. And you remember Dave Brown and how awful he was. Not and I'm not saying Jones is in that category, but it seems like the game somehow, some way speeds up and Daniel Jones doesn't match the speed of the game. So give me your opinion on Jones here. Yeah, I will. I want to touch on a couple of things you just said there, though, about Gettleman. Philosophically, I'm not a big fan of this approach. But when you're a 70-year-old GM and you see the writing on the wall, I certainly get it. And you talk about how it's not in his DNA to restructure all these contracts. Well, you have to remember, too, that this is a one-off type of scenario, okay? The salary cop was severely diminished because the revenues were not nearly what they typically would have been pre-pandemic and I don't know if I want to describe it as a salary cap that is going to um, 
explode in, in terms of uh, its limits in the coming years. But I, I think he sees that, that that is a you know distinct possibility and he'll have a lot more financial flexibility in years going forward. And the last thing on the offensive line, before I get to Jones, you can't get past the idea that there was no offseason, there was no preseason. For all intents and purposes, the Giants started three rookies on that offensive line with Thomas, Lemieux, and Gates being at center. I know he's not a rookie per se, but that was his first foray at that position. They didn't develop any kind of cohesion until the second half of last year. There was a distinct difference uh, from the first half of the year to the second half of the year, that Arizona game notwithstanding. So I, I think you have to take that into account as well. This, it was a different, different kind of year for everybody, and that gets us to Daniel Jones. I think we've all seen the same thing. There isn't a throw that he can't make. There isn't a defender that he can't run by. What you're alluding to and where my questions come in is where is that internal clock? Is he feeling the pressure or is he just simply trying to do what a lot of young guys at his position do? And that's, you know, you made mention to it when looking at Barkley, he's always looking for the home run ball. I can make any play. Just give me a second, give me a second. So either he doesn't feel it or he's been very reluctant to, you know, make the play prior to when he would typically like to, because, you know, the pressure is, is coming. Uh, Again, I thought we saw distinct changes in that element of his game the second half of the year as well. One of the biggest plays he made all season last year was at the end of that second game against Washington where he got blown up on the blitz by that defensive back who was in touch and he held on to the ball. I think a lot of the criticisms, the Dave Brown comparisons notwithstanding, come from the fact that when you have such a crush from the assembled media, from the second that kid was, was drafted, were all so reluctant to sometimes admit maybe we were wrong. So I just, just think to give him credit for what was more than a solid rookie year would have taken a mea culpa on too many egos that are just too big for their britches to, to do something of that kind. And I don't think that Daniel Jones has been evaluated um, nearly through the same justifiable prism that most other people at his position would be. Yes, it is a very important year for Daniel Jones. Does it make or break? No, the Giants are too conservative. They wouldn't be shocked in the least if there's a fourth year with Daniel Jones. All I will say is this. I've seen enough out of Daniel Jones in almost two full seasons to say that, yes, he positively, absolutely at least deserves a third year in a similar offensive system with a real offseason and real weapons and more than an adequate offensive line to make a true evaluation as to whether he's the guy for the next decade plus. Well, that's a really good point because we we talked ad nauseum during the season about how tough of an offseason it was for Daniel Jones, not having the OTAs, having a new offensive system with Jason Garrett. But over the past couple of weeks, Rob, when we've been talking about how critical of a year this is for Daniel Jones, we really haven't touched on that fact. So we focused on it during the season, but now as we're heading into year three, we've seemed to have forgotten about that a little bit. He's finally going to have a full off season, a normal off season to work on chemistry with all his offensive weapons, whoever they bring in draft night. I'd imagine even though they signed Galladay, they may not be drafting a receiver in the first round. If the, the chase and, and pits of the world are available, they still might pass. 
but they undoubtedly are going to bring in another weapon at some point in this draft. They have to bring in at least another receiver just to add some depth on that roster. So you bring in those guys and Jones finally has a full off season to be able to talk with Jason Garrett face to face, have meetings with the rest of his players and try to develop that chemistry. I don't think it's make or break for Daniel Jones, because like you said, Bruce, I could see them giving him another shot, but this may be make or break for Dave Gettleman because this was Dave Gettleman's pick. And he got so much criticism because of the fact he took him at six when he might've been on the board at 17. Now, Rob has always said that he doesn't think he would have been on the board at 17. I've given Gettleman a benefit of the doubt from that point of view. Cause I say, if you have as much conviction as Gettleman has uh, uh, let on that he had saying he was full bloom in love with Daniel Jones, then you go with your gut and you take your guy. But when you were so over the moon in love with somebody, if three years into his tenure as Giants quarterback, you're not seeing the results that would lead you to believe that he's your quarterback of the future, then it becomes Gettleman's head that's on the chopping block. Well, you know, one thing I just want to touch on, if you don't mind, um, you know, you were talking about them maybe getting him another weapon. But what you got to remember with the Galladay signing now, now Shepard becomes your number two receiver, goes back into the slot. Darius Slayton was never a number one or a number two receiver, in my opinion. He becomes your third receiver now. They bring in John Ross just to try and stretch the field. He stays healthy. He's another weapon. So now these guys are kind of moving down the ladder a bit. And Sterling Shepard is your number two. You could do far worse than that because Sterling Shepard is a solid, solid receiver. And I don't mind Slayton, you know, as a third receiver here now. So he, there's no excuses for Daniel Jones here. If he flops, the Giants have a major decision to make. And I'm talking flops. If he goes back to the turnover-prone Daniel Jones that he was, I give him the benefit of the doubt last year because I think in his head he was so concerned about the turnovers that he wasn't thinking about the game or the play itself. I think more than anything, he was worried about a turnover. And it's, it's, it's normal to think that way after what that kid went through with the myriad of turnovers that he did have. He was setting records with turnovers. You remember, well, Dave, you remember Dave Krieg with the fumbles when he was with the Seattle Seahawks? How many fumbles he fu- – I mean, you know, at some point it's got to stop and it's got to be corrected. So, And going you know. back to a point that Bruce made before, it's the question of what's going on with Daniel Jones with his internal clock. Is it because he's not feeling the pressure? And you know what? He had a turnover issue, but it wasn't because he was throwing the ball to the other team that much. It was the fumbles. Mm-hmm. That would lead you to believe maybe he just didn't feel the pressure. And that's something that you can improve on. It's tough to, to really teach and coach that. It's kind of just an intangible thing that a quarterback possesses, but maybe with more maturity and more growth, you start to get better at that. And hey, you don't have to worry about feeling pe- pressure if you have a competent offensive front to be able to keep you upright. So yeah. if the offensive line gets better, you don't necessarily yeah. have to worry about his awareness being a, being a detriment that much. And that could be taught because you remember a fumble-prone running back we had drafted in Tiki Barber. And how fumble prone was he? And Tom Coughlin corrected that. Well, the, for him. well, the fumbling can be corrected, you know, but if yes. you just don't have awareness and can't feel pressure, that's something that's tough to teach. That's just something that you either have it or you don't. You don't, right, right. And Andrew brings up a good point. Right, these turnovers aren't all created equal. You know, you watch the mistakes that some of these young quarterbacks make. Just case in point, take a guy like Sam Darnold. You know, he's just throwing the ball up there for grabs. You you ask yourself, where the heck was he going with that football? You don't have a lot of that with Daniel Jones. So, yes, the turnovers are are turnovers. It doesn't really matter in what fashion that they occur. But he doesn't look like he's confused. The plays with Daniel Jones, when you look at the ones that drive you absolutely crazy – 
with regards to the clock, it's not just feeling the pressure or the read. Remember that Monday night game against Tampa. He takes them down the field. They get within two points on the last second touchdown. And on the two-point conversion, that's a simple pitch and catch. Mm -hmm. He's got to see that. He's got to know that. And there's been a few too many of those. But your original point about the make or break for, for Gettleman, I don't think that's going to be ruled by record. I think style points matter here. If the Giants are 8-8 eight and eight and miss out in the playoffs and Jones has a big year, if Gettleman wants to come back, Gettleman's going to come back because all these other moves are way – I mean, they are so far off in the distance compared to whether they found their franchise quarterback or not. It, it's not even, you know – worthy of, of, of further discussion in, in my estimation he made or, bro or broke his giants future when he quote unquote went out on the limb to to draft daniel jones and, and and that that goes back to my other point about the media who never wants to you know in a lot of places admit where maybe they were off i mean there's still so many people out there that want to take to their grave the Giants reached for Jones at six. He would have been there when they had that 17 selection. Well, baloney, okay? Because when guys like Chris Mortensen and Phil Sims come out and put their public reputations on the line and say they know for a fact that he wouldn't have made it beyond 10, I don't know if that meant Cincinnati or Washington or whomever, I I'm going to tend to you know believe those guys. Again, I just think that Jones is unfairly – evaluated compared to most of his contemporaries in, in the same spot. It's wonderful that Justin Herbert came into the league and lit it up. Joe Burrow ditto. It doesn't work that way for, for everybody. It's okay to give some of these guys some time. Daniel Jones is 23 years old and I wish to praise for him. The effusiveness of such praise would come from quarters outside the giant building but I'll tell you what, I haven't heard a whisper, a rumor, or anything. They, top to bottom, brass, players, the janitors, the waitstaff in the cafeteria, they swear by this guy. They love him. Yeah, they, he's got a great work ethic. The kid's first in the building, last out. And, you know, what people tend to forget it is he played at Duke and he played with zero NFL talent around him. Guys like Burrow, Herbert, these guys were playing at big-time schools with big-time talent around them at the same time. And much like Eli Manning, when he was drafted by Ernie Acorsi out of Ole Miss, Eli Manning had nothing on that team. Zero. Zero. Eli Manning took that team on his back. And that's what Ernie Acorsi always loved about Eli Manning and why he went so out of his way to make the trade and trade up and grab Eli Manning. So, you know, it's much like almost Daniel Jones's college career where he put a team on his back. And although, listen, Duke isn't, you know, they're not, they're not, a, you know, they're not going to give you a plethora of, of NFL talent coming out of there. But Daniel Jones was a kid that made the best of what he had. So let's see what he does now. The big thing for me, Bruce, is that their red zone offense now can shine with guys like Galladay and Rudolph because past couple of years, the Giants had no red zone offense. It was God awful. And they were always settling for field goals. Yeah, and the other part of this, too, guys, is they don't have a receiver that gets any separation. Uh, no. I mean, you could attribute that as if you want to, that maybe he's holding on to the ball too long, but you know what? We all watch every down of every game, 
And it's like you're begging for the, there's nobody open ever except for Evan Ingram. And it's not enough for Evan Ingram to just drop footballs. No, he has to tip them five feet in the air so they can be intercepted. <laughs> but oh, yeah, I, I, yeah. Do, I do agree with you on the short end of the field. Remember, you're adding a guy named Saquon Barkley as well. And obviously the, the injuries the last couple of years have been disturbing, but there is absolutely no question when he's on the field that the 11 on the other side are going to have to account for him first and foremost. That's going to make a huge, huge difference for the Daniel Jones and the Giants as a whole. Yeah, just having that other weapon, yeah. Rob and I said this last week. The Giants do not need Daniel Jones to go out there and play at an all-pro level. He just needs to be good because he has the supporting cast this time around where just if he's good, the Giants can be successful. We saw it last year when Jones went through a four or five game stretch before the ankle injury where he just not was not turning the ball over. The Giants were winning football games. He wasn't lighting the field on fire like Justin Herbert was last season, throwing for 350 yards and four touchdowns. He was just playing smart, taking care of the football, matriculating the offense. That's all he needs to do. So it's not like there's a ton of pressure for him to go out there and, and turn into Joe Montana overnight. He just needs to, to really manage the game with the talent around him and not turn the football over, and they can have a successful year, and that could solidify his future with the team. Yeah, you know what? My, my concern isn't the notion of the 6-10 and 10 being fool's gold. It's what happened around the division being fool's gold. If Dak Prescott doesn't go down in week five, the Cowboys are a legitimate nine-win team. And, you know, we're perhaps not singing the praises of the 2020 season to the level we are. I think the greatest thing you could say about 2020 is they look like a professional football team for the first time in a long, long while. Um, I think they outplayed their talent level, particularly on the defensive side of things. You know, when you look at a team like Washington, that's a young defense that, took big strides under new leadership themselves and is going to continue to make greater strides because they have legit talent on end, end of the ball. I think we all acknowledge that the Cowboys are going to be more a 9-10 win type team than the disaster they were last year. So while, yes, it is reasonable to demand that the Giants take the necessary strides in 2021, the rest of that division Sands uh, the catastrophe going down in Philadelphia, which I can't lovingly say enough. Uh, it, the rest of the division is, is, is going to be pretty good as well. That was an, a very much an atypical season for the NFC. Elite. I think the giant defense will be better. And I tell you the truth with, with Xavier McKinney, hopefully stays healthy this year. I love that kid. His last three, four games he played for the giants. That kid was terrific. He was terrific. The second round pick out of Alabama. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, I, I like the versatility of guys like Kim and Jabril Peppers that are almost hybrid type of safeties that can almost play up like a linebacker closer to the line, which I love. The Adoree Jackson signing to put on the other side of, of, of Bradbury. And look, who knows what the hell Sam Beal is? Do we know what Sam Beal is yet? Never healthy. Yeah, he's not healthy. So, you know, he's still young. He, he was a supplemental pick that Gettleman took. So, you know, we don't even know what the heck he is yet, this kid. Julian Love is another kid with some talent. So I think they got some talent there. And maybe with the 11 pick, if they go with a kid like Micah Parsons from Penn State, who has all-world talent as a linebacker, I, I think this defense could be even better than what they were last year. Well, because they have that great defensive secondary, which will go hand-in-hand hand and help out the pass rush. And I agree with you. Unless you have an all-world 
defensive type difference maker in your front seven to select at 11, I wouldn't go in that direction. But unfortunately, I think the whole idea of this conversation is moot because regardless of position need, Gettleman is going to take the guy who is the, the best player that he has evaluated yeah. on the board. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of leads me into the Jets real quick, too, because I want to get your opinion here. You know, with the Jets picking at two, they have a ton of draft capital coming over the next couple of years. You know, all the whispers here now, but you don't know because everybody blows smoke everybody's ass, you know, with these GMs around this time right now. They're saying the 49ers moved up from Mac Jones. You know, we don't know. So do you think the Jets take Zach Wilson? Do you think Donald gets traded? Do you think they give Donald another year and maybe keep the two pick, go somewhere else, or maybe trade out of the two slot for more draft capital for somebody that wants the quarterback in Zach Wilson? Because to me, if you're going to make a move, you got to be in love with Zach Wilson. He can't be parallel to Sam Donald. He just can't be. And you're still going to have to build up that offensive line and some of the weapons around them, although they did add a couple of pieces there. But you're still going to have to build up that offensive line, which they really haven't gotten to yet, even if you do bring in a rookie quarterback. So where do you think the Jets are going here, Bruce? I think all the momentum is Wilson. And I agree with you. I don't think that just because they didn't take the 49er deal that Miami ultimately did, that precludes them from doing something at two. If someone falls in love enough with whether it's Wilson or, or, or Fields or <laughs> dare I suggest Lance or Jones, They'll make they'll make a very tempting offer to the Jets. I again, I, Joe Douglas doesn't strike me as the type of guy that's going to succumb to public pressure. It just feels like there is so much momentum to just move on for a guy who has been unfairly portrayed as a victim. I mean, you know, Sam Darnold has to take some degree of responsibility for his own demise here. And nobody, I mean, you, we just went over this with Daniel Jones and how unfairly scrutinized he's been. I mean, you want to talk about being handled with kid gloves in the supposed tough, tough Northeast New York corridor. Uh, it, it has been ridiculous how often he's been let off the hook. Um, I don't buy the idea that it's ego and that Douglas has to have his own guy and, and Darnold was a pick for the previous regime. I also don't buy the fact that, that it restarts the financial clock. I'm not saying that's a, not a consideration, but the bottom line is if you think you have your franchise quarterback in San Darnold, you, you pay him whatever you, you have to pay him. First of all, they got more money and flexibility under the cap now under these uh, compromised conditions. That doesn't matter. I just think that I don't necessarily believe they're going to fall in love with any one of these guys a lot more than Sam Darnold. I just think that the owner is very sensitive to these type of criticisms and you have to really search far and wide to find a lot of momentum to find where people want to keep Sam, Sam Darnold, you know, around here. So yeah, if you gun to my head right here, right now, I'd say Zach Wilson's going to be the, the quarterback of the Jets in, in 2021. Well, I've been having conversations with a bunch of different people throughout the week. And, and and I've let it be known on this podcast before that I was never a huge fan of Sam Darnold's game in college. Thought he was too careless, too reckless with the ball. He hasn't been handled well at all with the Jets. Not a lot of talent around him at all. Terrible coaching. We know how the Adam Gaze experiment went. To me, if you're the Jets, 
you can't – I know that the, the three-year timeline is kind of one that people use on quarterbacks, and if you don't see anything from them in the first three years, you might want to move on. But if you're the Jets, that number two pick is too valuable to just be selecting a quarterback because you're unsure about how good Sam Donald can be. If you're going to be drafting a quarterback at number two, you need to be in love with him. You can't just be drafting Zach Wilson just because you don't like Donald because then you're just going to be wasting a pick once again. You could trade out of that spot and get a ton of more capital and, and address it in other spots of your roster. You need to be in love with Wilson to be able to take him because you have the luxury of keeping Donald around for another year with a hopefully better constructed roster and better coaching staff going into 2021. I agree with you. Obviously, this it, it always is, but it's tenfold for the Jets who haven't won a championship in 50 years and haven't seen the postseason in a decade. But what is your evaluation on a quarterback who played nothing but a second division schedule in empty buildings and had his lone monster collegiate year. Is that the guy that you're ready to roll the dice with? Right. Well, look, I mean, like I said, that's why I say it can't be a parallel move to Sam Donald. He's got to be, you have to be in love with this guy. And how are you evaluating him based on what you just said? And look, I think the coaching change is going to help them immensely, much like what Joe Judge did for the Giants, even in that pandemic-type season where you really had no uh, no training camps. You know, you had no OTAs. But, you know, what I told Andrew in the, from the very beginning when people were almost mocking Joe Judge is that he gave them an identity and a culture. That's what he gave them. That was the most important thing. And you can do that with a young team. And I could see Salah coming in and doing the same exact type of thing for the Jets. He's going to give him an identity. He's going to give him some toughness. He's going to give him that culture that teams have to have. And there's no better way to do that and to start that when you have a young team. Because you don't do it when you have a veteran team, obviously. When you have a young team, they'll all buy into it for a couple of years. They've got nowhere to go but up, Rob. Yeah. I mean, again, it's as, it's as pressure, it's a pressure free a scenario as, as you're ever going to find the fan base is just so unbelievably beaten down. They are grasping at any kind of, you know, positivity they could find. They, they could do no wrong with this number two pick. If they stick with Darnold and then subsequently trade that two pick and get a King's ransom. Hallelujah. We're, we're, we're on our way. We even got, we got more collateral. If they decide to go in another direction, ah, we got a spanking new GM pretty much and a coach and a quarterback. You know, here we come. Yeah, we got a couple of teams on the rise in our division, but we're, you know, we're laughing stocks no more. We have a direction. I think you got to be careful when you make these Giants and Jets comparisons. Yes, they share a city. Yes, they share a building, but in no way, shape, or form do they share the same standard. No. And now gun to your head. The Texans call up Joe Douglas. Nick Casario calls up Joe Douglas. All right, we got Deshaun Watson on the table, knowing what's going on with Deshaun Watson civil cases right now. Says, you give me this two pick, your, uh, what is it, their 18 or the 23rd pick they got in this draft and another first round the next year. Do you trade for Deshaun Watson? Do you, give up the, do you give up that draft capital? You can't do it. Unfortunately, right or wrong, Deshaun Watson's it. It's it's poison right now. Is he persona non grata now to the whole NFL? He had he has to be. Look look what's going on. Look what's transpired. Not just with the pandemic, but with the other various movements, socially speaking, mm -hmm. race, gender, 
you know, me too, all that it's toxic. You can't, it's just not, not in, you're going to need a far more resolution to that situation than we have right now, or that we're going to have within the next 30 days up to the draft. I think he's untradeable. It's as, as laughable as that is to say right now, given how wondrous a player he is, he's untradeable. Yeah, I agree. I'm a hundred percent. You can't, you can't touch it. Cause what happens if the yeah. jets were to make a move and then you think about it as Bruce said, with, with how prevalent sexual assault is as far as it being a talking point in society nowadays, you figure if he's found guilty in only one of these cases, because I think it's up to what, 13 or 14 cases. Well, it's only civil. There's no criminal cases, but you don't know what the NFL might try and do. That's the but thing. if you're just involved, if one of them has, if one of them has some sort of validity to it, he could be suspended for a whole year. Look, I always say if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, when you got 13, 14 girls coming out now, I mean, so, look, there's it, it, got to be something to it. <laughs> there has to be something to it. But again, there's no criminal charges involved. But it's again, it's what the NFL is going to do in the aftermath. Because if he is found civilly liable and there's payments being made here, then the NFL is going to do their own investigation. There's no doubt. And you don't know what's going to happen from there. It's, it's going admit, to take to a whole nother level. It's an admittance of guilt. The NFL's hands would be tied. They would they would have to reprimand yeah. him with a severe suspension. Yeah, yeah, that's that's and, some scenario. And, that, and like you said, a severe suspension hanging over the head of Deshaun Watson is what makes him untradeable. Nobody <laughs> in their right mind will be able to give up any sort of valuable assets for a guy who this could all come crashing down on him, and he could be out of football for a year. It, you can't do it. You cannot what a turn! What a turn of events, huh? Yeah, you can't voluntarily welcome that into your organization. Yeah, no, no you cannot. You cannot. Absolutely so. not. All right, so, All right, we so are, lead us we into are, the baseball, Andrew. Yeah, we're, we're two days away from opening day. And like I said in the, in the show open – with Bruce and all the work he's done with Mad Dog Russo on MLB Network. I mean, he is just the perfect person to have on for a baseball preview. And we got to start it off nowhere else but but with the New York Mets. I know, Bruce, you're a Yankee fan, so I apologize that we have to start with the Mets. But uh, the big question on everybody's mind today is what's going to happen with the contract negotiations between the New York Mets and Francisco Lindor. Um, Lindor had made it known early on in the spring that opening day was going to be the deadline and he would not be negotiating into the season. Said it wasn't fair to him. It's not fair to the team. The sole focus should be winning. Uh, so he placed a firm deadline and was very adamant that he would not be negotiating after that deadline. So it's, it's crunch time here. Uh, the Mets and Lindor have been negotiating. They've gotten down to it. The Mets gave what they called their quote unquote last final and best offer yesterday. And that was 10 years, $325 million. Uh, that seemed to be in the ballpark of what Lindor was asking for. But then we get word last night that he's now seeking a 12-year deal worth $385 million. Uh, the Mets reportedly have walked away from the negotiating table. That deal for 10 years, 325, is still out there for Lindor to accept, but they are done negotiating. They won't be going any higher. And now the ball is in Lindor's court as to whether or not he wants to accept that offer or if he wants to test free agency. As a diehard Mets fan myself, Part of me says that there's nothing that you should not do to get this guy locked up. He's a 27-year-old player. He's a phenom. He's a top 12 player in all of baseball and a guy who's tremendous to have in the locker room. Platinum glove type uh, defense at shortstop. Guy who's going to steal you 30 bases, hit you 30 home runs. He just every intangible that can't be quantified, he brings to the table. Guys like that don't come around too often. So in my opinion, you got to do everything you can to lock that man up long term. 
However, in the same breath, you can also acknowledge that with everything that's gone on in baseball the past few years, the idea that there could potentially be a work stoppage next year, the fact that there are also going to be five top-tier shortstops on the free agent market next season, you have to think that Lindor will not be getting anywhere close to what he's asking for on the free agent market. So the Mets offer that they had already given to him for 10 years, $325 million, is probably the best offer he's going to see. So I can understand why the Mets might be standing firm at, at that offer. Uh, Bruce, my question to you would be, one, should Lindor be accepting the Mets offer? And two, if he doesn't accept the Mets offer, how should the fans be reacting to that news? Well, far be it for me to ever suggest that uh, turning down $365 million over, I don't care how many years it is, <laughs> is a good idea. So I'll, I'll, I'll start with that. I, I guess I, I disagree with, with a couple of things. Uh, I don't most of look at this as, as a negative development. I think the parameters are clearly in place here for a deal to be done. And I wouldn't be stunned in the least within the next 24 hours if a deal were announced, I'll, I'll also disagree. I think with the idea that on the market, he won't command uh, that kind of money. If anything else, that will jack the price up. Uh, especially when you look at franchises, you know, like the Yankees that will be you know, all of a sudden underneath the threshold, the Red Sox, eventually you're going to get back in this game. I think teams like the giants and even the Marlins are chomping at the bit soon to start getting back. And so I think there's going to be quite the market for him. I, I couldn't agree with you more as far as your evaluation of the guy on top of all those wondrous talents. He's electric. He's made for New York. He's Broadway. He's all those things. And I got to be perfectly honest with you as a Met fan, I wouldn't sweat it in the least if a deal didn't get done and they decided to table it to the end of the season, because if Steve Cohen wants you, there isn't anybody in this business that has more wherewithal to, to get a deal done, even up against, uh, you know, uh, a dozen other suitors, if it comes to that. I think Steve Cohen, and, and I credit my, my former partner, Chris Russo, with this, and I, I think he's very much right to a degree. I, I think Steve Cohen in year one of this stewardship is playing nice. After this year, the gloves are off, my friends. And I, I said the same thing, man. I, I don't think he wanted to piss any of these owners off by spending money he didn't lose money last year because he didn't own the team. And I think I said that to you, Andrew, a while back. I said, he's going to be conservative here because you look at it. He didn't go He didn't go out of his way to sign George Springer as much as the Mets needed him. He didn't go out of his way to sign Trevor Bauer. He just didn't cross that line. He stepped up to it, but he never went over that line. He had his numbers. He had his figures. And that was it. He never went over it. And I think this is going to play out with Lindor the same way. I don't know if he's going to bend on Lindor's demands or Lindor's agent's demands, I don't think he's going to bend. I think he's going to be firm at this 10 for 325. Well, I heard, I saw this on Twitter, and I forget exactly who pointed this out, but it's, it's certainly a worthy point. Francisco Lindor shares the same agent as Craig Kimbrell. And you remember Kate, Craig Kimbrell, who was holding out for all that time back in 2018 and ended up taking only a three-year deal from the Cubs when he could have had a five-year deal with Boston, if I'm not mistaken. And he tested it out the open market. And it didn't necessarily work out for him. He's also the agent who represents Ozzie Albies, who took a deal with the Atlanta Braves to buy out his arbitration years, which everyone looked at as an absolute bargain for the Braves and not a great deal on Albies' part. So this agent has already represented two clients in which he had not gotten beneficial deals for them. 
I wonder if that may be factoring into the front office's decision to not push the issue and 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 just leave their final offer at 10-325, hoping that they might come to their senses and, and not take the chance of being burned once again and finally accept it. And and to further your point, keep in mind too, and I'm trying not to talk out of both sides of my mouth here, but if they do wait a year, if Camp Lindor decides to again get after this again in, in a few months. There's going to be a lot stiffer competition. Okay, my offer is not enough. I'll pivot to Trevor Story. I'll pivot to Carlos Correa. I'm not saying these players are Francisco Lindor, but they're certainly in that classification. So I think that's it's a dangerous play for Lindor's agent from that point of view uh, as well, that if the Mets are pretty much going to give you market value, meaning what you would normally get, if you were a free agent, assuming he wants to play in New York, all indications are that he is, then yeah, that he should be jumping at, at what the Mets are offering. But but as I've suggested, I understand there's a lot of other pundits who feel differently that they're way off, they're not close, it's not going to happen. I, I don't I don't see that at all. I think they're very much within within sight of one another here. They were saying the same thing about the Gram a couple of years ago when he got signed a couple of days before opening day. I think this gets done because. I think Lindor's taking a monumental chance right now of not signing that contract at 10 years at 325. And listen, maybe the Mets add on a year, you know, maybe they compromise it here, you know, somehow they, some way they come up to a compromise to where it's not going to be that, that 12 year deal, because there's no way I'd sign him for 12 years, even though it's less annual average money than the 10 years would be. I'm not taking a shortstop into his 38th and 39th year of his life. Yeah, no, but you just, see that the way I, that. but listen, I, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, I, I'm not worried about what year 11 and 12 are going to look like of a contract when you have a window to win. And the Mets, although I don't think they're ready to win a World Series this year, I do think that their window to compete and win a World Series is going to be within the next three to four years. And anytime you sign a big name free agent to a 10 plus year contract, you realize the cost of doing business. You're not paying for years 10, 11, 12. You're paying for years one through eight. And so if Lindor is able to play during his prime years, which are presumably going to be for the next six or seven years, and the Mets are able to win a championship, a championship that they haven't been able to win since the 80s, everyone's okay with it. And I brought this example up too. Everybody crucifies Brody Van Wagner, and rightfully so, for the Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano trade. But guess what, Rob? If the Mets were to win the World Series this year, and Edwin Diaz gets the final three outs of game seven, I think everybody zips their mouths shut and no one has a complaint about it anymore. Yeah, the results dictate. Ifs, it's a lot of ifs. There's a lot but of that's, ifs That's what it comes down yeah. to when you're evaluating how good a contract is. The results dictate how it is. We talked about it with the Nets trading for James Harden. I mean, they've set themselves up for a couple years of embarrassment, but if they win a championship, all is forgiven. Right now, the Mets have a bullseye in their back, and it's a big bullseye. Because I still think the Braves are the better team in that NL East. And I agree. Everybody's got the Mets winning that NL East. And, you know, I, I don't think the Mets starting staff is solidified right now. Even with, you know, after DeGrom, obviously, you don't know what the hell you're going to get out of this Stroman. Then after that, you know, you, you, Carrasco's been hurt. You're going to start Joey Lucchese, David Peterson. This is what we're looking at. We don't know what we're going to get out of Taiwan Walker. I mean, Taiwan Walker has one good year. We don't know what we're going to get out of him either. Yeah, so but let's see what happens when the Mets have the bullseye in their back, Bruce, because, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure here. But, but in fairness, Rob, there is a honeymoon period at play as well. And the Mets right now have this feel of the dawning of a new era and that 
everything is is going to be uh, rainbows and unicorns going forward. That we are a big market team that are not just going to look the part, but we're going to play the part. So if it doesn't happen this year, it's not catastrophic that that those legitimate opportunities are going to be here and here to stay. Dare I make a comparison to the Yankees? When we lose in the postseason year in and year out, which we have repeatedly done over the last 12 years, are we angry? Are we frustrated? Absolutely. Are we Mm -hmm. devastated? No, we're not. Because we know our next great opportunity is 12 months away. We're not the Kansas City Royals. You know, we're not the Cincinnati Reds, uh, you know, at least of recent vintage. (laughs) The Cincinnati Reds were actually a once proud franchise. That's neither here nor there. But the Mets are now players like the Yankees, players like the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs. They and, and, and that that's enough for them right now. I don't think that bullseye that you're portraying is, is as distinct as it may otherwise be, regardless of where this payroll might end up going before all, all is said. Well, I'm saying a bullseye to other teams because they've, they've had so much fanfare. And you don't think come June 15th, July 1st, the Mets are 10 games into 500. The fan base is not going to be pissed off. They're going to be pissed off. No, and I can, and, and I, I know I'll be one of them. I understand where you're coming from with the bullseye. Cause let's say for instance, a team like the Atlanta Braves who has won the NL East over the past right. couple of seasons. And now everyone is enamored and gung ho over the Mets. Cause they have a new owner and the Braves are probably sitting there like, wait a second. What about us? We've been winning this division the past couple of years. Let's yeah. go out there and prove everyone wrong. Screw the Mets. So, so I could see where you're coming from with the bullseye. Yeah. And, and we saw, and we saw how well a bullseye worked for them a couple of years ago when Brody Van Wagner came out and said, come out and get us. Right. They so, haven't proven anything. They haven't won. And even Michael Conforto came out and said it. We haven't won a thing. We've been talked about that we had a good team, but we've won nothing since 2015. They had the one wild card game the following season, and that was it. They've done nothing after that. So they got to prove it to me here. As a Met fan and a diehard Met fan, they have to prove it to me. I'm not, you know, I'm not one for this big excitement right now. It's exciting that we have new ownership. Yes, I agree with you, Bruce there. There's always next year. We're always going to be players now. We might sign our own guys. I'd love to see Conforto get signed before the season starts. I'd even like to see Syndergaard maybe get signed to a contract. He comes back healthy. I, I believe in developing and signing your own players and then supplementing them with those free agents then, or maybe a trade. In fairness here, they could have added Springer. They could have added Bauer. Yeah, And we all could have been projecting the Mets to be this 100-plus win juggernaut and everyone's going to eat their dust. Well, how am I supposed to rationalize that when they're competing against a first-place team in their division where I believe in each of the last two seasons they were double digits behind on the last day of the regular season? So where where does the tangible come into play in, in all this? You know, and I, I mean – if we're just going to play rotisserie, you know, baseball here and, and just, you know, look at it like the, the deck is stacked and the, and the Braves have sat on their hands and done nothing, which by the way, they have not. They, they haven't. Sooner they added Morton. Yeah. <laughs> They've done some consequential things here, but you know, there, there's, yeah, there, there's always other principles involved that you got to take harder looks at before you say, oh, there's, there's nobody that's going to, you know, beat this team. Yeah. The Mets have been, perpetual underachievers and they they always live in the glass half empty world waiting for that proverbial other shoe to drop but what i'm suggesting now with the new guy in charge all those feelings are gone that even if they 
somehow fall flat or 500. I just don't see you guys being as decimated as you, you otherwise would be because better days realistically are not too off in the in the distant future as they otherwise were under the previous ownership. yeah I, I i'm gonna have to disagree with you on that bruce because i'm gonna tell you something right now there'll be a lot of pissed off met fans if this team flounders if this team comes july august and they're floundering i'm telling you right now there's gonna be a pissed off fan base and all of a sudden all that goodwill and it's not going to be cone's fault obviously but all that goodwill it is going to be washed away because to me, I still think they have to pump the brakes on his team because I still think they're weak in the rotation after the Carrasco injury. Now, hopefully Syndergaard might even get back before Carrasco, but to me, their bullpen is a gigantic question mark. And we know how big bullpens are nowadays in major league baseball. We know how much they play a role. Yankees suffered a, you know, a big injury with Zach Britton there. Justin Wilson looks like he's going to be out as well. And you know, the Yankee bullpen has been pretty much dominant over the last couple of years. And it kind of, you know, it, it, it's almost like your biggest strength that you need sometimes is that bullpen. And I still think the Mets bullpen is a weakness when you have guys like Patances and Gazelman coming out. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. Hopefully Lugo gets back before June 1st because he's probably their best guy. You don't know what the hell you're going to get out of Diaz. You got a great Diaz in a shortened season without fans. What happens when it comes to City Field? And now maybe you have 10,000 fans there and he's in a, a one-run lead in the ninth inning. We don't know what his, what his reactions are going to be here. Yeah, here's the one thing I'll say about this. And I know you guys know this already, the, the nature of bullpens being up and down every year. And I think you too need to take a closer look at the last handful of world champions. And they've all made it up as they've gone along with regards to their bullpen. Right. So how it looked in April and May didn't look anything resembling that once mid-October rolled around. It, it's, it's the one area where you can make such changes on the fly and, and flip a switch. So, yeah, Diaz and Trevor May and this new flavor, this Sam McWilliams, who they really think they found something in, and Mikel Castro, who's looked wonderful. Maybe he's realizing his potential. You know what? It could be another two, three guys once, you know, August rolls around because there's always – an abundance of relievers more readily available than any other position come the trade deadline. So if the bullpen is your biggest concern, you're not, you're, you're not too bad off. You're really yeah. Not. Well, you know, it's much like the giant offensive line. It's taken a few years here to figure out, especially with the med bullpen, because that med bullpen has been an albatross to them, uh, uh, Bruce, because they haven't figured it out in the last few years. They really have not figured it out. The last five, six years, they still cannot figure out their bullpen. Their only guy that was, that was more dependable than anybody was Seth Lugo over the last couple of years. So let's hope that they do figure it out. You mentioned some of the young arms with Miguel Castro. And now let's get into the Yankees. I know your beloved Yankees, Bruce. So, um, you know, one World Series in 20 years, which is shocking for the Yankee organization. Although they're in it every year, and what has it been, 28 straight years that they've had a 500 record or better? They yeah. haven't had a losing season, which is unreal. And you know the Yankees are going to slug their way through the regular season. The AL East looks very, very depleted right now. Tampa lost Charlie Morton. They lost Blake Snell, although they do figure it out somehow. But they lost their best bullpen arm recently and Nick Anderson as well. Um, and sometimes, to me, the sustainability of the way they're managed, uh, I, I just can't see it going for this, for this long a period of time, the way they manage that team, the way Kevin Cash has that team. And that's the only way they can run it. 
That's all they know. But the Red Sox are in a rebuild. Uh, um, Toronto, I think, is better, although I don't, their pitching staff still you know, is, is a big question mark, but they certainly have the young hitters there. And the Orioles are the Orioles. You're always going to have to figure it out one year. So I think that division is the Yankees to lose. And unless the Yankees suffer catastrophic injuries, they should dominate that division. The one question mark you have with your Yankees is? Oh, okay. Where do I start? Listen, the best thing the Yankees have going for them is the rest of the league stinks. And as far as the biggest issue, uh, your question, they don't have pitching questions. They have pitching problems. Okay, those things are not mutually exclusive. I don't know where you have any degree of certainty whatsoever past Garrett Cole. So for a franchise in which we don't evaluate things until we see how those three, four weeks play out in October, I don't know how you could go into this season with championship aspirations. Uh, we don't need to get into chapter and verse and what the questions are beyond Garrett Cole because we all know of them. And for all this wondrous depth that I keep hearing about from Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone, and that I read in the newspapers about, these guys are Jags. Short for, it's an acronym for just another guy. I've seen Davey Garcia. I've seen Michael King. Uh, okay, these Clark are Schmidt. not pitchers. Yeah. They're not difference makers. They certainly have value, but they are not the kind of people that you are going to be hanging your hats on and say, aha, here is the answer. Uh, the Yankees blew that series against Tampa last year because they only let Davey Garcia pitch to one inning and then use the old opener uh, scenario and then went to Jay Abba. We're treating Davey Garcia like he's Bob Gibson. Okay, they don't have that in reserve. And in a year where depth is more important than it's ever been arguably in our lifetimes because of the shortened season and the lack of buildup with the pitching, this is a major – the Yankees have major – quality issues and major quantity issues so while i agree with you on your assessment of the rest of the al east and in my opinion the rest of the american league in, in general they were in the national league they might be maybe the fourth best team maybe maybe five somewhere in that neighborhood because that pitching it just isn't any it isn't a question mark it isn't any good well, that's and, why Domingo Haman is so important to your starting staff. Me and Andrew 100%. were talking about him a couple of weeks ago. Yep. He's probably your most important player right now in this roster because if he could solidify that number two spot in the rotation, oh. it, it certainly helps. And if he could pitch as good as he pitched prior to his suspension in 2019, then at least you have yourself a second starter there. And maybe Jordan Montgomery figures it out. Uh, you know, Yankee young starters, I've always thought, were always they always overrated Yankee starting pitching. Because think about it. When was the last time the Yankees developed their own style? Robbie, Robbie, baby, 100 years. Who have we developed? Whitey Ford, <laughs> Ron Guidry, Andy Pettit. There's your list. That's 100 it. 100 yeah. years. But, you know, we used to, we ripped off the Red Sox and the A's left and right in the early part of that. Reynolds and Lopat. We on and on and on. We we got our pitching from everywhere else. We could never develop it. It has been a perpetual, and this is through one Hall of Fame executive, Ed Barrow and George Weiss, and now even Brian Cashman. We can't develop pitching. We we never have. We've always had to go outside the organization to find it. It truly is amazing. Go ahead, Andrew. I was I was gonna bring up a point that we we 
I've brought it up in the past. and I'm interested to see how Bruce feels about this. So obviously the big dilemma in the postseason, the big conversation was um, when the Yankees decided to use Davey Garcia as an opener and in the whole Jay Happ situation in the postseason. My feeling when you have a team that has so many question marks or, as you stated, problems with their pitching, do you think if the Yankees just showed a little bit of confidence in Garcia and let him pitch in that playoff game and you were able to see more of him, if you think that would make a difference as to the as to your level of intrigue with the pitching this year, if you thought it would be maybe more solid if you got to see what Garcia had in that postseason moment? Well, hindsight is, of course, 2020. They lost because Jay Happ stunk. It's not like Jay Happ is some sort of neophyte with no bullpen experience. It's not like they laid this process on him in the last second. He didn't pitch well. They lost. Okay. Uh, now, again, if you, if you want to attribute that to being the, the moment they cost in the postseason, that's all fine and good. Uh, I, I have a different take on that, and, I, and I'm sure you guys have better things to do that have me rehash the reasons why the Yankees, again, didn't uh, fulfill their prophecy in the 2020 playoffs, but the moment of that postseason, the entire postseason for everybody involved was that Mike Brasso home run off of Chapman. That is theater. That is why you watch sports. When what transpired between those two individuals in the, in the summer, none of that blame going on Brasso whatsoever. But when you try to be bullied by his Bush league maneuver as what Aroldis Chapman was trying to accomplish by headhunting that night in the middle of the season. And the guy puts an eight, nine pitch at bat on you, hits a, a game winning home run in his team's last at bat in a, in a playoff deciding game. That that's as, that's as good as it gets. The, the, the Rays didn't just beat up the Yankees last year. They embarrassed them. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they, 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 they destroyed them over the course of the regular season and then to lose in that kind of fashion in the postseason is, you know, the payroll, notwithstanding, they, they embarrassed him left and right. I, I'm, I'm getting so caught up in this. I forgot what your initial question was. But about the David Garcia open. Yeah, if you, if you had seen David Garcia, if they let him ride in that postseason game, you think it would give them more confidence in what they had from their starting pitching going into this season? I don't think, I don't think it's waned at all. I think, I think if, if nothing else, they're more confident. I, I think that they believe in their, their new training guru, that, that Kluber is in some way, shape, or form on a very limited basis, obviously, because he's in his mid thirties and hasn't pitched in two years is going to be re able to recapture some of his old glory to a lesser degree, Jamison Tyone. But, you know, the other two things that we haven't even touched on yet. And I, and I said this, you know, to Chris on high heat the day after they were eliminated uh, or the show after, I, I can't remember if it was on a weekend or what have you, but two of their greater questions are still that as we headed the season, Aroldis Chapman in no way, shape, or form could be you could you have full confidence in come the postseason, as we've seen that time and again since he's done the pinstripes. And the guy they have behind the plate is a complete zero. And neither of those things have changed from then to now. Well, that's going to be an interesting scenario again with Sanchez because it's coming back to roost again with him late in his spring training. He's four for his last 30. The defensive oh. problems are showing up again. Where are they going with this? Are they going to hang on to this guy? To, to the bitter end, Bruce, because at some point you got to cut bait and not worry about what he might do for another organization when he's destroying your organization. Yeah, you know what? I'm hard pressed to believe that he's ever going to recapture what we saw that first, uh, the better part of his first two seasons uh, in the major leagues. They they have such a, a crush on the guy. I'm even hesitant to present the idea of getting another 
viable catching alternative around this time of year. You know, the end of spring training, these teams bring in so much added catching because there's so much more pitching out there that you have to take a look at that sometimes, uh, you know, a real quality catcher should shake loose. I haven't checked the wires or anything. So Jonathan Lucroy got released yesterday. I mean, he's a little bit older, but he had a good spring. You know, with the White Sox, you know, but at some point, they're not going to do it. They're they're, they're not because they they they've gone so far down this road with Sanchez again, and they they picked up the six million option. uh, That you know what, they they're going to sink or swim with the guy because they realize, much like their other issues with regards to health of their best players, meaning Stanton Judge, that they could survive all this. I mean, that's the one thing about the Yankees; they have proven. To, at least in the regular season, to be impervious to all this other stuff, somehow, some way. Yeah, judge injuries, Stanton injuries, all the injuries, Torres getting injured, they survived those. Right. It, it, it isn't always all about the money. I mean, there, there is something to be said for, you know, for culture and, and grit and toughness. They have a lot of that too. But, you know, if we're living in the World Series or bust, you know, New York Yankees kingdom, uh, this is far more leaning towards bust. Uh, this is not a championship level team. It just isn't. Yeah, How big me, of an I, injury do you think Luke Voigt is? Well, I mean, in the short term, they should be fine. I mean, Jay Bruce is not, is not Luke Voigt uh, in any way, shape or form. I mean, ideally you would like of uh, Miguel Andohar not to have gotten hurt again. So maybe we could take a look at him at third and then put, but LeMahieu, at first base, you know, that, that, that's what the Yankee lineup needs. It needs nine DJ LeMahieu types. It needs nine what Miguel Andujar was as a rookie when he was, when he was healthy. Guy didn't strike out. The guy had sprays the ball all over the field. That's what he's, he's been forgotten about Andujar too. Yeah. He's been forgotten about. He's hurt. He's hurt again. I don't know if yeah. he, he sneezed the wrong way or, or what happened. <laughs> I'm 40 years older than the guy. I don't get. It. I don't get. It. I wake up with aches and pains every morning. I don't end up on the injured list like he does. So I... <laughs> let me ask you. Let me ask you a scenario here. Gary Sanchez gets off to a slow start. They still play him. Play him. Come mid-May, beginning of June, he starts to turn around. Gets a little hot. Is that the time to strike where the Yankees trade him then? Will the Yankees wait for his value to get a little higher so they can maybe get something a little bit more on the open market than what they could have gotten when his value was as low as it's been? They don't move him until they have a viable superior alternative. That has nothing to do with what they will get back in trade for Gary Sanchez. It has nothing to do anymore at that point if he's struggling to the level that you're suggesting he is for the most part of the first half for fear of what he will do somewhere else. They have given him long enough leash. No one will criticize the Yankees for having moved on at that point, nor should they have criticized them if they decided to cut bait with them two months ago or whatever it was when they picked up the option. But no, they will not cut him loose until they have a clear superior alternative. And that player is not Kyle Higashioka. So if you, if you, if you want to bandy around some other names out there, we could have a conversation. But, but he, here's the one thing I'll say. I think Kyle Higashioka could be the clear-cut superior if Sanchez struggles to the degree in which he did last season because he became a liability. It's not like he was struggling to find himself. He became a liability and someone you could not trust, and it showed by Aaron Boone in the most important games of the season in October opting to start Higashioka and sit Sanchez on the bench. And do the Yankees really need the offense from the catching position? Do they really need the offense? from? All they need is for a guy to play good defense. 
No, but you know something. You know, we just talked about how the Yankees have done such a wondrous job in overcoming. At some point, you don't want to have to look that gift horse in the mouth, time and again. You know, eventually that will catch up to you. Now, I don't know if the rest of the league is quality enough to do anything about it, but uh, again, I, I wouldn't want to take that kind of chance with the shakiness of their pitching, including their bullpen uh, and their their fragility of their their offense to suggest that you know what they got more than enough in reserve they could live with Gary Sanchez being a, an absolute zero again I, I think that's a very dangerous way of looking at things but yes history has showed us that they can overcome that if they have to all right the so Yankees, well, have, Yankees have been spoiled by by great hitting catches after Jorge Posada you know even Russell Martin had for a couple of years not that he was a great hitter but he was a very good hitter so we'll see. Bill Dickey, Yankees. Elston Howard, Yogi Berra, they weren't bad either. Thurman. Well, no, well, back in, we're going back in the day. I'm doing a little bit more recent here, Bruce, of course. But, you know, Thurman Munson, yeah, we can we can name him. <laughs> they looked, they were looking to bring in Yadier Molina. I thought that would have been a great pickup for them, but didn't work out. I, I was going to say, you know, with, with Molina, his value is to the Cardinals and nobody else. No doubt. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have hated the idea, I mean, the guy could still pick it behind the plate. He could obviously call a great game. But, I, again, defensively, yeah, Higashioka is fine. Robinson Chirinos, if he didn't get hurt, he's fine. The 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 value in Molina is is as a St. Louis Cardinal. I, I don't know if bringing a 39-year-old catcher and depicting him as, as the answer is uh, – It's is, amazing because he destroyed the Mets in 2006, and 15 years later, he's still behind the plate. It's amazing. Yeah, Aaron Heilman. I remember it. Aaron Heilman. Oh God. Oh. Don't don't remind me. Oh my please. Goodness. That that probably was the most aggravating series loss I had in my 50 years of being a Met fan. Yeah, there's no way they should have lost that series. after the Andy Chavez catch. You I, can't lose. You can't lose. No. How do you lose that game? I can't even rehash. No, well, that, that, there was two things that are, that jumped to my mind. One is that that entire series, they made uh, Jeff Supon look like Sandy Koufax. Yeah. Well, and, they were also missing Cliff Floyd. Cliff Floyd and, had gotten hurt. And, listen, and yeah, Cliff Floyd was, was shaking, money for yeah. them. But, but like we talked about with the Roldis Chapman, and I think Billy Wagner is Hall of Fame quality, mm-hmm. but not – according to what his postseason ledger looks like and giving up ninth inning game time home runs to so to Gucci is not one you want to put on the resume reel. And that's, that's really the, that's really the game that turned that whole series around. Well, listen, he was, he was solid. He was solid, but uh, you watch SNY and they had that program on SNY amazing finishes. And if you go back to the years, 2007, 2006, 2005, every amazing finish that they show is Billy Wagner blowing a save in the ninth inning and then them coming back in the bottom half of the ninth inning and hitting a walk-off. And, ah, what a great game. But, you know, people forget, you know, when you blow the save but the team still wins, you, you tend to forget about it. Yeah, well, but people who, forget. Do blame, who do we blame first and foremost for that series loss on? You know, you know who I blame? Carlos Beltran. Yeah. The most vicious of curveballs. Yeah. But a, you know, uh, you know uh, what I blame it on? I blame it on Duana Sanchez having to go out for a late-night snack getting into that cab and get into a car accident out for the season. We wound up having to trade Xavier Nady, who was terrific in a platoon with Sean Green. And we got back Roberto Hernandez, who absolutely sucked. So Duana Sanchez was so good. 
Oh, you also got your game seven starter of that series in that trade. Yeah, Ali Perez. Ali Perez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time he threw a ball, you you were gasping for air. You want to know a fun fact? I mean, you talk about struggling to the stretch with that guy. It was amazing what we got out of him. It was amazing. <laughs> Listen, when I was when I was growing up, and this is when I'm like eight nine years old playing baseball. You know, when you're young, you're always emulating people. My thing was when I was pitching, I'd always hop over the line on my way to the dugout because, like Oliver Perez, that was oh, that was the guy that I tried that's to. Some emulate. got to emulate, Andrew. No wonder why you're on a podcast now. <laughs> yeah, that's why my playing days are over. You know, you know what? You'd like to characterize a guy like that as one of those billion-dollar arm, ten-cent head guys, but you know what? Oh. He's still pitching. He's, he's getting people out. He's still getting people. Well, he's a lefty. Yeah, now yeah. he's a lefty specialist. But you know, he's got to throw to three guys now. All right, so listen, before we get into this whole thing with Tommy, I got to get your opinion on two things, Bruce, before we get into the unders and overs and everything else. A, what do you think about them possibly making the shift illegal? And B, what do you think about this whole thing with the seven-inning doubleheaders and the fact that they start the guy at second base in the 10th inning of these extra games? Extra innings, I'm sorry. Um, This all goes to what one of the huge problems in baseball is, isn't it, fellas? We can't have a a logical – normal baseball conversation without bringing up the idea of how do we make this game appealing? That's baseball's biggest problem. And to their credit, that's why they're, they're implementing a lot of these things. I know the pandemic had everything to do with it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not playing the fool. Uh, I'm not a proponent of, of banning the shift. I think the shift is, is an, an issue with how we are training our offensive players in this sport. Now it's, it, it's, it's boomer or boomer bust. If all of a sudden we philosophically instill in them a different way of going about it offensively, all of a sudden, I think you'll find players that are more than capable of taking the ball the other way. I don't mind them do experimenting with what they're doing in the minor leagues, making everybody at least be on the infield dirt, but banning the shift. No, I know in the NBA, I know in the NFL, all the rules changes are designed to enhance offensive productivity, but none of them go to how you deploy your defense. Stylistically, yes, we can't be as physical in either the NBA or the NFL as much as we used to be, but in terms of how strategically you want to deploy your defenders, we haven't gone that far. And that goes to your other question. The 10th inning rule it worked. It was effective. I don't hate it, but let's face it. It's the one thing you always try to guard against when instilling change, and that's materially changing the way the game is played. And when you do that but with the extra inning rule by putting that runner at second base, you are doing just that. That's why it still doesn't sit that great with me, even though I understand it has met almost universal approval. And as far as doubleheaders are concerned, if we could move the season back to May 1st and play seven-inning doubleheaders every Sunday, I'm all for it. It's a wonderful idea. Okay. I got no problem with that. All right, so let's bring in our good buddy Tommy Loughran, who not only is a regular contributor to the podcast, as you all know, but he's also the guy who pulled the strings and got Bruce Shine on the air for us. So, Tommy, welcome in, bro. How are you? Hey, fellas. Brucey, how are you, buddy? Oh, so you're to blame, it's, huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I apologize, Bruce. Send those <laughs> letters in care of Robbie and Andrew. 
<laughs> well, listen, we kept teasing that once we got Bruce on, he was our go. He was our go-to guest. Once we got him, we were going to kick Tommy to the curb, but we were just yanking your chain. Tommy's yeah, a we man. We never kicked Tommy to the curb. No, we know where our roots are. We're not going to forget about Tommy. And we figured tonight was a perfect night to have him on because we he was part of the show when we gave our baseball preview a couple weeks ago. And now when we wanted to do a more extensive preview with Bruce, we figured, why not? Let's get Tommy back on. And we got to show him some love for getting us Bruce in the first place. So, Tommy, being that you're the, the newcomer as far as tonight's episode, and you just hopped on. I'll let you decide what route you want to go first. Do you want to go with fan questions? We got two of them tonight. Do you want to go with a rapid fire segment or do you want to go with over unders? Hmm. Let's uh let's go over unders. Let's go over unders. All right. So here's what we're yeah. gonna do, fellas. Okay. Tommy, being that you picked, you could start it off. Then we'll go to Bruce, then we'll go to Rob. I'll give mine last. Give me one over and one under that you like as far as season win totals. Tommy, you started off. I'm looking at one right now. I'm going to – I like over 72 wins for the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I mean, you're giving, me se- you're giving me 72 wins for this Cardinal team. Every year they win at least 80, 80. You know, they're always 80 to 90. Every year that organization is top-notch. I'm looking at the lineup. You got Tommy Edmond at the beginning, you know, at the top of the lineup. He's – He's he's a guy for a break. He's a breakout candidate in fantasy and everything. Goldschmidt, Arenado. I mean, De Young's a good young player. Yachty still doing things. I like this lineup, and the pitching's not too bad. I know Mikolos is in, injured, but you got Flaherty. Wainwright is always he's been solid the last few years. Like he's a renaissance for him the last few years. Carlos Martinez. I I don't see how they don't win seven, at least seventy five to eighty games at minimum. Where, where are you so seeing seventy? Where are you seeing well, seventy two and a half? I gotta ask. I, I'm, I'm on, on my Pocota. I'm on I'm my on Staten Island Bookies website. Oh, Staten Island Bookies. Go on to Pocota. I would go oh, on shoot. to Pocota. Oh, no, hold on, standings, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Because I have be them. I have them at eighty seven. I have. Yeah, wait a minute. Hold on. That that's. Why did I, I have the that? Cardinals at 78. In All right, you know what, Tommy? We got what we needed no, from no, you. We'll, yeah. we'll see you. We'll see you later. Uh, we'll we'll go back to just me, wow. Rob, and Bruce. Because wow. now, now to <laughs> see, Bruce, no, we I told think... you that you might need to reel me and Robin. We bring Tommy on, and now the show is going off the rails. Please work your magic and reel us back in, buddy. <laughs> All right, let's edit this. Ready? Uh, let's take fan questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a couple of teams I'm real interested in. Oh, I, I screwed up. Come back to me because I screwed that up. The Yankees. Go ahead, Bruce. The Yankees <laughs> are somewhere around triple digits, right? Vegas. They're at a hundred in Pakoda right now. Is that what you are you? What are you guys using? Pocota? I'm using Pakoda. Okay, I was what I was using was uh, well, I wrote these down a week ago. I was going by Fanduel odds. I have the Fanduel odds written down, and Fanduel right, has the me, Yankees you know, at ninety-seven and a half. Right, I'm going to go under on the Yankees. What's what's Milwaukee's number? Milwaukee's number is eighty-three and a half. I'm See, Pakota has them at 88. Uh, I, I thought that number might be a little lower, so I'm a little sketchy about that. But I think the Brewers are the best team in that division. I think they're going to win that division. I think it's, uh, other than the AL West, might be the weakest division in baseball. Give me the over on the Brewers. Uh, I love their top two stars. I love the two, back two guys in the back of that pen. I love that manager. No team has to work harder on a day-in and day-out basis uh, to get done ultimately what they've gotten done at a very high level the last few years. You know Yelich is far better than he was last year. Give me the over on the Brewers, and for all the reasons I just depicted, give me uh, – the Yankees are still over 90-win team. 97 is a little too high. I'll, I'll go under on the Yankees. Yeah, Rob, I was going with with what the odds are because Pakoda's predictions are kind of all over the place. Well, only because, you know, that's what most people use, and we're using some of these gambling websites and stuff. You don't know how they can, how they can yeah, sway you- people. 
You got to use if you're doing over unders, you really got to use Vegas, uh, like Fanduel, whatever. You got to use a sports book, I think, because like Andrew said, they have the Mets over the Braves for the division. That's their opinion, you know. That's how right. That's their, their opinion says. on it. But oh, when yeah, you actually yeah. go to the odds, the Braves are at ninety three and a half, and the Mets right. are at ninety and a half. So that, so so Vegas right. believes that the Braves will still be better. So it's what, what is more to, of what do they have the Cubs at right now? Uh, eighty one and a half. I'm going under on that. I would go under on the Cubs. There's too much, too many question marks here. Anthony Rizzo, Baez, Contreras. You might see half that team gone by the by the trading deadline with the Cubs. Right. They're going through a total rebuild. Total rebuild. These guys are not getting resigned. Rizzo, they offered Rizzo a ridiculous four-year $70 million contract extension. I mean, he's not going to take that, Anthony Rizzo. That's that's laughable. That's laughable. That's almost to say, well, we made you an offer. You know they already they already jettisoned you Darvish out of there. I mean that's it. That team's going to go through a total rebuild. I could see them in the low seventies, mid seventies. The Cubs. So I'm going under there with the Cubs. And you have an over. I have an over. What do you, you, like what do you have with Kansas City right now? Oh man, you're stealing my thunder. and a half. You're stealing my thunder because that's my way to go. The Royals are seventy four and a half. I, I like the Royals on the over. I like the Royals and over and wait till Bobby Witt Jr. comes up. Oh, and here's It'll a be here, even better. Here's a big development. And you're on the right side of this, Rob. So I told you I wrote these down a week ago. Just double checking on FanDuel now. The Cubs line is down to 79 and a half. Yeah, that's because they just heard me say that. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> See, the imp- I'm an influencer, Bruce, on these podcasts. Yeah, you're, you're an influencer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm with 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 my over. I'm, I'm right with Rob. I'm with over 74 and a half with the Royals. We talked a few weeks ago about all the under the radar moves that the Royals have made this offseason. They're not a big market team, so they're not going to go out and sign all the big fish that are available in free agency. But they quietly they made a bunch of good moves. I mean, Salvador Perez is still a good player. He's not no longer an All Star, but he's still a good catcher. They brought in Carlos Santana, really good bat for the middle of the order. Whit Merrifield, I think, is probably the most underrated hitter underrated. in all of baseball. Out of Berkeley. Mondesi, 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 who's another guy that Kansas City look, looks like they might try to lock up now that they already locked up Perez. And listen, under the radar, it was a 10.30 p.m. trade on a weeknight, so people seem to forget about it. But they swung a trade for Andrew Benintendi, who I thought is, who I think is a phenomenal corner outfielder. They brought him in. The only question mark for the Royals is pitching. But again, I don't think the AL Central is all that competitive. The Tigers is still a few years away. The Indians have gotten dramatically worse. So, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility at all that the Royals win 74 and a half game over 74 and a half. Yeah, and games. don't discount, don't discount the move they made when they, when they picked up Michael Taylor also, Michael Taylor is a good young center fielder, still young enough to produce, you know, to have the season that maybe they were expected of him with the nationals. So they were a good defensive move, team. I think you're going to have to get Taylor out of there though, because I think that's where Mondesi is going when they call up Witt. Well, yeah, that's possible. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's who I forgot yeah. to mention. I think that he is, although he's not ranked number one, in my opinion, he is the number one prospect in all of baseball, Bobby Witt. I think that he is an absolute superstar. Yeah. And look, I would have loved to have seen him start the season on the roster, but we know service time. Well, they're going to manipulate his service go. time, of course. But yeah. I mean, he tore it up in the spring. He's just a phenomenal player. Yeah. And my under, I'm going to go with under 86 for the Blue Jays. I think that the Blue Jays <laughs> are still about a year away from contending. Uh, Rob, you brought up something a couple weeks ago, and I was in lockstep with you. I, I don't know if I'm ready to buckle my seatbelt and hop aboard the Vlad Guerrero Jr. train. He, he hasn't showed me all that much since he's come up. Bo Bichette is a terrific player. 
Uh, Biggio is a good player. But again, it, it comes down to pitching for them. I mean, Anthony Kay hasn't really done much. Hunjin Ryu, do you look at him as a number one? I'm not sure. Yeah, they got Marcus yeah, Simeon, yeah. good addition. Springer's a good addition. They're going to they're gonna slug their way to some victories. But if that pitching staff continues to falter and they don't have any reliable arms, but now they oh, got wait, Steven Matz. Steven Matz is going to win a Cy Young with They're the Blue Jays. going to win Jays. a Cy Young. You know that. He's on hit. You're, you're a little tough on Vladdy Jr., by the way. I mean, the guy just became old enough to get bar mitzvahed, and you're writing off his career. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy, the guy's like 21 years old. Bruce, I'd come say, on. Like We're from New that, York. I'd like to be at that bar mitzvah. Come on. <laughs> we're in, we're in New York, Bruce. It's results now or go scratch your ass. That's the way it works around here. I'll tell you what, I'd take that I'd take that Toronto lineup over the Yankees. Yeah, they added Simeon too. Another guy. Added don't Simeon, don't, don't, don't talk to me about just what's on the back of the baseball yeah. card. You got to start looking ahead too. They got oh. a bunch of contact guys. They got underrated guys that we don't ever even talk about, like Goriel and Telez. They got hit. Kayvon Biggio. Yeah, they got, they got they're more circular lineup than the Yankees. And the Yankees, yeah. the Yankees got good complementary hitters too, other than their stars. But that young, fierce, balanced Toronto lineup. Well, they don't here's, hold, and you could have, my, and you could uh, have another rookie in, in that lineup, uh, Alejandro Kirk, the, the catcher. Yeah. He, he'll probably have his job. So he, you got another young guy. Here's my here's my line of thinking with Toronto's line. In my opinion, I don't have Toronto as a playoff team, and I don't think the American League as a whole is that good. And so I can't no. see the Blue Jays missing out in the playoffs, winning over no, 86 I games. I had them as a wild card a couple of weeks ago when you asked me. I took them as a wild card. Yeah, I don't have them as a playoff team. And again, if they're not in making fact, the playoffs, so surprised number. Right? if they're not making the playoffs, I don't see them winning over 86, yeah, in my opinion. I don't know. I like that. I like I that think, team. I think, I I like think that the team. health of the health of Nate Pearson is going to play a big role in the into all of, of this about as f- how far they could go, because let's face it. Young Jin Ryu is terrific, but he has not exactly been the picture of durability. Neither has Pearson thus far in his young career, but that's, that's the, that's the one horse in that, in that rotation that they're really hanging their, their hats on. You're not going to get a lot of quantity out of the guy because, again, nobody pitched last year, and especially a kid who's got that kind of a dynamite arm. But again, there's just not enough. Uh, it's not there's not enough quantity there that you could really, you know, count on him to be the ace type guy yet. But he could be a solid number two behind Ryu. Just out of curiosity, what's the Dodger number at that at now? Hundred one hundred three and a half. I, I tell you, I would take the over on that too. I honestly would. They got David Price coming out of their bullpen now. I mean, this is talking about an embarrassment of riches. I hope Bauer just – I used to like Bauer. I'm sick of him now. He's he's a moron. That team is so – Enough with it. Enough with Trevor Bauer. You know what? Go go past four in the two-thirds innings in your in your postseason career. Once. What do you, what Please do, you do it once. Of, what do you make of a severe World Series hangover? I mean, if there's any franchise that would be susceptible to that, a team that hadn't won in 32 years – that had won the division eight years in a row by huge margins, only to fall short time and again. And then to win a championship that hasn't really been questioned as much as a lot of others otherwise would have been in a truncated season, I could see them getting a little bored. Yeah, I think the Padres will push them. I don't think the rest of that division is all that good. Uh, but 103 is a huge number, and I could see that I could see the Do- Dodgers team maybe taking the the foot off the gas a little bit. Well, I, 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 could, see I, them, I could see them taking a, a breath of air, saying, "All right, 
We won that World Series. Now we can get another one. And I think they have enough veterans on that team right now with Mookie Betts and Justin Turner and Bellinger that I think that would, I, I think it would avoid that sort of, that sort of uh, um, uh, hangover. Well, so. I'm 50-50 on what Bruce brought up. Yeah. From the point of them being a hangover, I certainly see where you're coming from, but I just think that that team is too talented. I just think it's too talented to have any sort of hangover. But on the other hand, I also think that 103 and a half is just an insane number. And That's a lot. I would a lay lot. off, but I would lean towards taking the under if I was if I was picking a side because that is just a huge, huge number. You think about it, 103 and a half. Well, if they would have cashed the over 104 and 58 or better, I mean, that that's, that's massive. They have a team good enough to do it for sure, but that's massive. Yeah. I mean, listen, they got another superpower in their division. So they'll see the Padres 19 times, you know, the giants aren't going to be walkovers. The central isn't any, isn't any good, but they're not doormats this side of Pittsburgh. And, you know, they're going to be a battle at, at whoever they play every night in the NL East. I tell you, I just think that that starting staff, you're not going to really have any losing streaks. When you got when you got Walker Bueller as your fourth starter, or Julio Reyes as your fourth starter, and Dustin Mage, your fifth starter, you got Price as a long man, Tony Gosselin, I, I you know, they're just stacked. I'm, an embarrassment of riches. It's an embarrassment of riches. And you know what? They, listen, they're a team that spent money, but they develop players. Let's face it, they've developed guys. Their farm system is incredible. And let's not forget, they pick at the back end of the draft every year. So look at the talent that they're developing. It always has been that way. How many rookie of the years did they win in the crazy. 80s? And 90s, it, it's, you know? it's crazy. Crazy. So, right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a test to the term rapid fire because we oh got a four man show. So we got to keep it rapid. Oh okay. Boy. Let me just wait. Let me just jump in. I, my under would be the forget the Cardinals. That was that line. Oh yeah, we forgot to go back to you because your, your, your first it. try was my, so bad. We just forgot about you. Oh, so it's what do you want to? You want to actually great if I if I get if I'm getting some dumb bookie in Staten Island to give me 72 wins. I'm excited. You want you want a mulligan? Uh, Is that what you're saying? You're you're gonna take a mulligan? I'll just take the under. But I think the Rays are gonna take a step back. I mean, you can't overcome Snell and. Nick Anderson, that's very hard to do, especially with that team. You know, listen. No Charlie hard, Morton either. No Charlie Morton. No Charlie Morton. It's hard. It, you know, it's hard to go against them because they always find a way. But let's and not forget though, the they got the super prospect coming up, and that's going to be the kid Wanda Franco. Yeah, that kid's going to be up. But but they could be, they could be at that point, they could be seven and fifteen already. So, I mean, I think just eighty six is a little too high. I think they finish around eighty three, eighty four. And uh, that's it. But, you know, yeah, you don't want to – it's not not smart money really betting against the Rays, but that's who I look at. And and the over okay. – I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, The Rockies aren't going to lose 64 games – win 64 games. They're going to win a little more than that, I think. The team's not that terrible. I mean, they have guys that still win games. 64, I'll take it. I'll try Yeah, that. I was looking at that too. That's a number that's insanely low that I would like to, you know, just yeah, take a gander at just because it's such a low number. All right, rapid fire. Doesn't have to be a one-word answer, but give me an answer and keep it short. Rob and I, we did this a few weeks ago, but with Tommy in the program, Bruce on the program, we'll revisit it and we'll run right through. Let's start off with Rob. Give me your NL East champion. Go. NL East champion is the Atlanta Braves. Brucey. Braves. Tommy. Braves. I agree. So all across the board, we got Atlanta. Give me your NL Central. Tommy, you started off. Oof, NL Central. I will go with. I got the I got the Cardinals winning seventy two games and taking the crown. <laughs> uh, 
Wow, that's tough. I mean, that, that division is very – I'm, I'm going to go Cardinals. I think Cardinals find a way. Bruce? They'll win, oh, they'll win more than 72 games. <laughs> <laughs> I took the over on the Brewers. I'm not bailing on them now. I got Milwaukee. Yeah, I'm going with the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Cardinals too. So Bruce is the lone wolf with the uh, with the Brewers in the NL Central. But, hey, he knows more than we do, so maybe he comes out of here on top. Uh, NL West champions. Rob, you started off. Dodgers. Bruce? No, I'm in the back. No. <laughs> this, is, this is the Dodgers Invitational. Even as good as the Padres are, they haven't made that many inroads. Tommy, I'm assuming you're going with Dodgers too. Got to be Dodgers. I mean, you know, that's they're just too good. I, I think I think they could hit a roadblock in the playoffs somehow because I don't trust Bauer. You know, Kershaw. He, you know, he was great this past one, but he's he's shown in the past also he's had problems. So I think they could be ripe for for a knockoff in in uh, the NLCS. And not to go see. off topic, but uh, our boy Capo Caco has just scored another goal to tie the Rangers Capitals yeah, game at two two. two two. Humongous. All right, Rob, give me your two NL wild card teams. My NL wild card teams are the New York Mets and the San Diego Padres. Bruce, yeah, ditto. Mets and the Mets and the Padres very. Uh, Still very top-heavy league. I think that the Mets and the Padres are clearly the best of the so-called rest. Mm-hmm. Tommy? I'm going to go Brewers-Padres. Are you trying to ruffle feathers, or is that actually no. the way you feel? No, I'm dead serious. I think okay. I, 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 if Carrasco doesn't come back soon enough, I don't trust Marcus Stroman. As, I like, as I said on the, when we were talking on the 50th episode – He's good as a four or five. Number two, that's trouble. They didn't amputate that's his right arm, Tommy. He's got a pulled hamstring. He's coming back. He hasn't been he hasn't been right in a few years, though. That's I mean, can you can you count on him for a full season? They haven't the, the Indians couldn't for the last four or five years. Well, yeah, the leukemia, you know, but prior to that, he I know, was, but he I'm saying he was durable. Yeah, he's starting to break down. It could be. I mean, you trust Taiwan Walker? I mean, we know Andrew loves Joey Lucchese. Joey Lucchese's a stud. I I know I said, and I still think they might win 90, but I think some, I think these are the two wildcard teams are going to be, you know, the Padres might win 98. And the Brewers are going to be right there, maybe 94. It's going to be close. I think it might even come down to a playing game. Mets Padres, Mets, Mets Brewers. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with the Mets and the Padres. I think the Padres are a lock. The Mets, if the guys that are on the shelf are able to come back, uh, I think they can. If they could stay afloat for the time being, which I think they will, they got enough talent to to do so. Uh, I think they'll be in a wild card berth. All right, we'll start it off with you, Tommy. Give me your AL East champ. Uh, oof. Yeah, I've got to go Yankees. I guess I, you know the division's taking a step back. I told you know the right with the Rays and. The Red Sox, decent hitting, no pitching, and the you know the, the I think the Blue Jays are probably a year away, so I'll go Yankees. Bruce, that's yeah, more of an indictment on the rest of the division than it is praise for uh, the Yankees. But yeah, it, over the course of six months playing every day with that lineup and that bullpen, I'll go Yankees. Rob, yeah, regular season pitching, you have to Garrett Cole is not going to matter much to the Yankees. Like I said earlier in the podcast, they. They outslug teams in a regular season, so the Yankees will win that division easily. I'm with all you guys. Rob, give me your AL Central champ. My AL Central champ, boy, that's a tough one. And it was, I was definitive on the White Sox, and I think I still am going to be, in, even with the Eloy Jimenez uh, um, injury with the torn pack, he's going to be out at least five months. 
Uh, but they're bringing up Andrew Vaughn, who was their 2019 first-round pick, and it has a very high ceiling. So um, I, I still think they have enough pitching there to win that division. And as Bruce says, I think it's also an indictment on that division. I don't think that division is overly strong. I'm not, I'm not big on the Twins. And the Rangers just scored again. I'm not big on the Twins. I know a lot of people love the Twins. I'm just not big on the Twins. And the Indians, I think, are, are you know, after the Lindor trade, I, I still think they have some solid pitching. But I don't know. I, I'm going to give this division to the White Sox. I think they've done enough. And I think with Giolito and, and probably Kopich coming back and adding Lance Lynn, I think they'll be good enough to win that division. Bruce? A guy like Lance Lynn is so worth his weight in gold, especially in a year like this where, mm-hmm. you know, you could have a horse like that. You could throw out there, give you 200 innings, which in a year like this is closer to 300. What might maybe the most underrated transaction of the offseason. That being said, uh, I don't trust the Twins in October either. That's 18 losses in a row in the postseason and counting. But you know what? They're a 600-plus winning percentage team each of the last couple of years. Uh, that offense is still – Stellar. I'll, I'm going to go with Minnesota. I think that loss of Eloy Jimenez is bigger than people are making it out to be with the White Sox. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they respond with that quote-unquote bullseye on their back. I'll take the Twins in the AL Central. Tommy, who you got? See, this is the bad part about rapid fire because, you know, Bruce just took my entire soliloquy. You know, I, <laughs> And it only took me an hour to say it in rapid fire. How about that? <laughs> yeah, but I, no, I, I agree with Bruce. I think the Twins win the division. I think the White Sox, that, that's, that injury is going to haunt them a little bit. And I think the Twins have a, enough veterans on that team that know how to win their lineup. And then they added Andrelton Simmons. I think that's a real good under-the-radar pickup by them. That's, that solidifies that defense up the middle, which is huge. And they still have a good enough pitching with Maeda and Barrios. And then down at the end, you got Pineda. Happ has been there before. Can he rebound? Shoemaker's not bad, and then their bullpen solid, and I, so I, I would say I would go Twins over the White Sox. Very close to it. That's going to be fun, a fun race between those two. Yeah, you know what? I, I think I, I've never been a huge fan of the Twins, um, but I'm with Bruce. I think that Eloy Jimenez injury is is a lot bigger than people think it is. He's just such a potent bat in the middle of that order. Um, and the White Sox, you got to remember, they do have a lot of promising young talent. Tim Anderson's a crazy good player. Luis Robert is insane. Um, Yoan Moncada started to find himself. But guess what, guys? I mean, the only flashes of brilliance we saw were in a truncated 60-game season. I don't know if I trust them to do it over a full 162, uh, especially with the injury to Jimenez now. So I'm going with the Twins. Um, let's, give, uh, let's get our AL West champion. Tommy, you start that off. I'm going to go with a surprise and say the Angels. Um, I think the A's, the A's are stacked young players, but I think the Angels f- somehow find a way with Madden and uh, Trout finally. You know, he hasn't been in the postseason too much. And I'm looking at that Astro pitching staff, and without Ver- Verlander there, it's very, very – it's suspect. I don't trust McCullers as a number two. And no Frankie, Valdez you know, either. They lost Valdez with the broken Valdez. finger. Yep. I like Christian Javier, but as a third starter right now, I don't, I don't like that. And then the bullpen, a lot of, I don't know, Presley at top, up, up top, but then in the middle, it's pretty, it's pretty suspect. So I'm going to go the angels to shock the world. I'm going to bet on that too, because it's probably 20 to one, 15 to one. Brucey, who you got? Worst division in baseball. And, but I know they lost their uh, heart and soul in, in Marcus Simeon, but they still got the best pitching in that division. I'm going to go with the A's. Rob, 
I'm going to go with the Astros. I still, th- I, I think the Odorizzi signing was exactly what the, what the Astros needed. I think that went under the radar a little bit. Last second signing and Odorizzi is going to be in eatings in a, didn't have major injuries to him. He had a couple of injuries he suffered, but nothing major. It wasn't a Tommy John or a rotator or anything like that. So I think the Odorizzi signing was, was, was solid for the Astros. I think with Granke and McCullers, there is enough. I think their lineup is going to be solid. I think Kyle Tucker has a breakout year. I love, I love Jordan Alvarez. I love Jordan Alvarez this year. So Miles Straw in center field is going to give him an element of speed and some defense there. And of course, they got Alex Bregman, Correa, Altuve. I think it's enough for them to to probably get 91, 92 wins in that division and win the division. Yeah, I like the Wait, Astros Andrew, too. Andrew, one sec. I got a rapid fire question for Rob. What's an oh. eating's inner? Inning. <laughs> 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 There I go. <laughs> Listen, you guys were burying me the last two weeks on the podcast. I need to get some re- some receipts here. You know what? I'm glad you did it. I was going to let it slide, but I'm no, glad no, you no, heard no, it no. too and you pointed it out. Can I, can I can I point something out off the beaten path here just, just real quick? Go ahead. I'm a little concerned for Tommy with what I'm seeing right now. I mean, Rob, you look like you're pretty much in a professional setting there. Oh, yeah. I got the white wall. I don't put stuff on my walls. <laughs> Andrew, my- you've got yeah, the – Hang on. You got the make. Let me turn it around. You got the basketball and the hockey on Tommy. How's that look? I turn it around. There's the Emmys. You see the Emmys? Okay. There? <laughs> that's, that's, that's better because I was about to start up a collection to get you parole. I mean, you, you were in a room. You're in a dark room. Nothing's on the walls, and there's a bright light in your face. He looks like, like he's in Rikers. I got three TVs right there for when I'm watching, you know, watching all the games. We we put Bruce, we put him in we put him in solitary confinement for derailing our over under segment by saying that the Cardinals were at 72 and a half. Oh, we locked him away in a room. I, was, I don't know what I was looking. We at. could do a whole separate podcast if you want to come up with rationales for why Tommy needs to be in solitary confinement. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce would remind me of this daily. He'd remind me of what a what a degenerate I am daily. <laughs> Bruce, we record every Tuesday. If you ever want to hop on and bash Tommy, I mean, we're all ears. Um, we're all for it. I need. I don't want Tommy. I need Tommy. I need. I need my <laughs> daily Giants intake, and I get that. <laughs> so, who am I siding with in the AL West? I'm siding with the Astros. Um, they've been there. They've done that. Um, the A's. I just again, it's it's a system kind of like the Rays, like you talked about before, Rob. Where I just don't think it's sustainable with that kind of system. Um, I think they take a step back. And the Angels. I mean, I, yeah, Trout and Rendon is really sexy in the middle of your lineup. But when Dylan Bundy is your opening day starter, you're not getting through a 162 game season and winning a division, in my you opinion. Know, you know, Mike Mike Trout is 30 years old this season. Never been in crazy. A game. He's 30. 30. You want to talk about waste management? Hello, Anaheim Angels. And I tell you, I I don't know if you guys were, but they should have been the team to sign Trevor Bauer. Yes. But you know what? I heard initially that Trevor Bauer did not get along with Mickey Callaway. And then the the news about Callaway came out after the Angels were kind of out of the running. So, but yeah, they could have used him. Like I said, if Dylan Bundy's your number one, I mean, I don't think Bauer is a number one either. I think he's a glorified number two or number three, but he would have been better than Dylan Bundy. He's better than what they got. You can't rely on Otani to give you, uh, you know, 175 innings. No, uh, listen, not doing I, what he's doing. Even Quinta- hey, Jose Quintana is an underrated. That they have, they could probably go with a six-man rotation if they want to with Otani, obviously. But I, Andrew Haney, I, I think he's going to break out this year. Andrew Haney. 
Uh, Alex this- Cobb, I mean, he had to get out of that band box in Baltimore. He's, he was solid before he went to Baltimore and got lit up because the, you're playing in a band box. And their bullpen is deep. They have a deep bullpen. They got Iglesias now. I like the kid Claudio. Tony Watson's a real good lefty out of the pen. C-Sheck is, is a veteran. I mean, you know, it seems like Madden's getting some of his guys uh, from that championship team to try to, you know, try to bring a veteran presence to that, which they need. I mean, they need more of it because it obviously wasn't working with just pools. And Trout, they needed a few more veterans. So we'll see. I don't know. You, you know, the sexy pick, obviously, is always the A's or the Astros. So let's see. You know, maybe the Angels shock people. Yeah, they got two of the top five players in the league in that lineup in Rendon. Rendon. Yeah. yeah. Worked, uh, and Otani, if he's – I mean, that guy, if he ever puts it all together, what a weapon that is. That, him that, as a pitcher a pipe, and a hitter. That's a pipe dream. And they're going to go They're going to go with six-man rotation with a pitching staff where they can't find two viable starters. Exactly. And it's, even a transgression-free Callaway cannot prevent you from getting Trevor Bauer. They did. They, they never get, they, they never, no, they should have. They, yeah. They definitely should have. They, it seems like they don't sign pitching ever. Like no, always these precise, retreads, precisely. always these retreads, but, but even a guy like Odorizzi would have been, would have been better than what they got in that staff right now. Or, a Taiwan, think, or a Taiwan Walker. Something. Anybody. Something. Anybody. You think, think Taiwan Walker is better than Jose Quintana? I don't. Um, look, Jose I think Quintana they're probably around okay, the same. I think Jose Quintana is a three or four starter. Yeah, he was an ace two years ago. On a, he was one of the aces. On you know, I mean, but I know it's a couple of years. But I'm Taiwan Walker. I mean, come on. Well, again, you don't know what you're gonna. I said that earlier in the podcast. You, know what, the, you don't know what you're gonna get out of Taiwan Walker. So they we'll they could have they could have swung a move for Joey Lucchese before the Mets swooped in and got <laughs> Bruce. Did, has Andrew? I don't know if he talked about it on the show with you, but he has a man crush on Joey Lucchese. Oh, Bruce! I don't know I love where him. it came from? I love his stuff. I think it's lethal. Uh, it's his stuff. Typical, he loves his stuff. Typical soft tossing lefty can't break a pane of glass with his with his fastball. You know, he's. Uh, like, you don't have to talk about my softball career, Bruce. Thanks. <laughs> Jeez. You, you know, you know, Joey, Joey, okay, Joey Lucchese would make a perfect Yankee. We already got four of those guys in my rotation. <laughs> Let's well, go into the wild cards. Right? Yeah, AL wild cards. Tommy, let me hear him. Uh, I'll go White Sox, and I'm going to go A's. Bruce? I'm going to go White Sox, Blue Jays. Rob? I'm going Toronto. And actually, you know what? In a prior podcast a couple of weeks ago, we did the baseball preview. I actually had the Angels as my wild card, but that was more – of a sentimental pick for Mike Trout. I was hoping he would get into a playoff. But you know what? I just – I think the A's. I, I well, like the A's as my other my – Well, other one of the cards. best gamblers in the world picked them to win a division. So you're, you're good. They're going to at least make The Angels? <laughs> I'm going to take I'm going to take the A's and the White Sox. I, I don't think that the uh, – like I said, I think that Jimenez injury is really bad for the White Sox, but I don't think it precludes them from from making the postseason. So I, I like the A's and I like the White Sox as the two wild cards. All right, here's some questions that we haven't done yet, and with the season starting on Thursday, now it's time to dive into them. Rob, give me your NL MVP. Oof, my NL MVP, I'm going with Ronald Acuna. Bruce, give me your National League MVP. I'm going to say Fernando Tatis is finally going to play a full season and give us an MVP year. Tommy? Uh, I'm going to go Mookie Betts again. Pains me to say this as a Mets fan, but um, I'm going to go with Juan Soto. I think he has a monster year. Who's your NL Cy Young? Tommy, you start that off. 
Now, Cy Young. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go DeGrom again. Bruce? I think he's... Why is there ever a debate about who the best pitcher in baseball is? It's Jacob DeGrom. And there isn't, there isn't a conversation to be had beyond, uh, beyond that right now. I don't care who you want to throw at me. Jacob DeGrom should be the runaway favorite for NL Cy Young. I'm in locks up with Degrom, but I also love Walker Bueller again this year. Yeah, that's a good one. Does he pitch enough? Oh, we'll see. I mean, but I, I mean, listen, Degrom is far and away the best pitcher in baseball. It's not even close. I agree with Bruce. It's not yeah, Degrom might not be the sexy pick because he's done it twice. Right, he was in the running right. a third time, but I mean, he's the best pitcher in baseball, so that's what I'm going with. No, forget the stat line. The man carries an entire pitching staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He allows the Mets so many additional freedoms. It's not even. It's not even funny, you know, tangibly and otherwise. Never mind the production. You see a guy like him struggle on a given day. He still goes seven innings, one run, five hits. That's him struggling. Yeah, it's unreal. He, fi- he finds a way. Well, it's that's amazing. what's that's what's most impressive about him is that he's able to pitch through nights where he doesn't have his A plus stuff. Just look at that 2015 series against the Dodgers when he struggled, and yet he battled and battled and battled and kept them in the game. And keep keep this in mind too when talking about Degrom. And this is from the one non non Met fan on our little panel here. Oh, Tommy, you're not a Met fan either. Sorry. There's not a lot of mileage on that arm. No. You know, you can point to his age all you want and the opt-out he has coming up in a couple of years. The heck with all that. The, the, this was a, a late, not a late bloomer, but a late starter, figuratively and literally. The guy he might be 32, but he's got the arm of a 26, 27-year-old. Yeah, he was a shortstop coming up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Steve Kluber, where teammate, what, Stetson College in Florida, something like that? Stetson. Yeah, yeah Stetson. Bruce, I actually have a really – not to sidetrack too much, but I actually have a really funny story that you would enjoy about Stetson. I've told Rob and Tommy this before. So um, are you familiar with the New Jersey Jackals, Bruce? Yeah. The, uh, the baseball, the independent league team. Yeah. Yes. Out in Yogi Berra stadium. So I had interned for them a couple summers ago. This is probably 2017 and uh, former big leaguer, Matt Latos was on the team. So there was a, uh, a scout from the Cincinnati Reds who was in the area. He decided to drop by to watch Latos pitch and uh, he was up in the press box and he was telling us stories. And he said one time um, they sent him down to Stetson University. And I don't know who he was there to scout. I don't know if it was someone. Kluber was already gone from the program at this point. I'm not sure if he was scouting someone that was on Stetson or someone that was on the other team. But he said he goes down there and Stetson is obliterating the other team. They're winning 16 nothing, And they bring Jacob DeGrom in to pitch. He was their starting shortstop. So DeGrom comes in, he's hitting 97, 98 on the gun. He's throwing a wicked slider, painting corners. So the scout picks up the phone. He calls the head of scouting for the Cincinnati Reds. And he says, hey, I'm at the Stetson game. This DeGrom kid is unreal. And the head scout says, oh, yeah, the shortstop, right? And he's like, yeah. He says, yeah, I already know about him. I'm like, he's, he's got an average glove, but he can't even hit his body weight. You know, don't worry about him. The scout says, no, no, I don't think you understand. He goes, he, he came in to pitch. Like, the score is 16 nothing. so they brought him in to pitch because it's such a blowout, and he's mowing guys down right now. And the scout's like, I already told you. I know who the kid is. Like, he doesn't have a future. He, he can't hit. He's like, what do you not understand? I don't care about his bat. I'm talking about pitching. He's on the mound pitching right now, and he's just mowing down the entire lineup. And the head scout says to him, he says, listen, dude, I don't need you chewing my ear off, okay? I sent you there to watch one guy in particular. Just keep your eyes on him, okay? Just do me a favor and keep your eyes on that guy. 
and he hung up the phone on him. And now look what DeGrom turned into. Listen, two, two things about DeGrom. First of all, he had, he was a star from the moment he made his major league debut. It was uh, on our former employer now, Tommy, <laughs> the network. <laughs> he lost a one nothing game to the Yankees and he hasn't let up since. Uh, the other thing, too, is uh, I just want to say, Matt, I hate you for admitting, or Andrew, I hate you for admitting that you were uh, young enough to be interning as recently as four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I got to infuse some youth into everybody on this podcast. I got to keep it fresh. That's the way we go around here. But um, so everyone's in lockstep with DeGrom as the NL Cy Young. Or did Tommy, did I get your pick? Yeah, yeah DeGrom. DeGrom, okay. Give me your AL MVP. Bruce, you start this one off for us. AL MVP. Well, it's tough to go outside the Mike Trout classification. Um, You know what? I'm going to go Anthony Rendon. Hmm. Rob? Boy, oh, boy. That's a tough one. Oh. Just to let you know, dead air I, isn't great from a listener's I, perspective. I'm going. I'm going with Alex Bregman. <laughs> I'm going with Alex Bregman. Okay, that's a solid pick, Tommy. I'm going DJ Lemayu, and he, he will be the first player in I forget how long, but to hit 400. DJ. Oh Ooh. Jesus! Now he's really now, now he's, he's throwing coming. now he's throwing shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> 400. That's a hot take. That's a scorching hot take. Whoa. It's got nothing to lose. Listen, two weeks ago, I said Mac Jones was the number two quarterback. Now John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are sitting at his uh, pro day. It's a lot different than somebody hitting each other. <laughs> Mac well, Jones, listen. nobody nobody knew the guy a year ago. All right, we're going off the beaten show. path. We're not no, but listen, Tommy, your, your mock draft is something that everyone looks at as if it's gospel. Yeah. So you say Mac Jones is the second best quarterback. Everyone would tend to side with you. You say in Lemayhu's going to hit 400. We have no reason to believe that your baseball expertise is is anything worth. Let me tell you something. <laughs> it wasn't worth Tommy, enough to MLB Tommy, Network, I guess. Tommy's, that's for sure. <laughs> Tommy's yes, Bruce is worth its weight in gold. I would just like to get it before Memorial Day for a change. Brucey, I told you, I'm not these. I'm not one of these hacks that does mock draft 1.7, 13.3. No, no, no. You get one T lock mock 1.0 the night before the draft. Uh, let's go to Cy Young now before we get more into dra- mock drafts. We're trying to do uh, – Well, I got I to gotta give my AL MVP first. It's only the highest rated show you guys have. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> I got to give my AL MVP first. And Bruce stole my thunder. I was going to go with Anthony Rendon. Okay. I think that, honestly, having Trout ahead of him in the order or behind him, whatever, hitting next to Trout in the order is just going to give him even more pitches to hit. And having mm-hmm. Anthony Rendon getting pitches to hit, oof, I think that's scary. I think he's going to have a monster year. Okay. Uh, AL Cy Young. Rob, you started off. Uh, I'm going to go with Garrett Cole, but I tell you, I think Shane Bieber is up there too with him, but I'll go with Garrett Cole. He's outstanding. Bruce? Lucas Giolito. Not a bad pick. Tommy? Uh, and I, I love these the, the odds for this guy, and I think he, it's his real, real breakout season. Jose Berrios, Cy Young. I've always, always, always loved Berrios' stuff. That's a good pick. Uh, A.L. Cy Young. Oh, man. You know, I was thinking about B- uh, going with Bieber. Oh, man. Giolito is another good pick, too. Yeah, I, I, 
I'm going to go with an outside the box one. I'm going to go with Tyler Glass now. Oh boy. I yeah. think I think he Tampa. steps up to the plate after losing Blake Snell, losing Charlie Morton. He is a clear number one in that Rays rotation. I think he takes it, runs with it, and he has a monster season for the Rays. Okay. I mean, it may not be enough to have them have a huge season like they did last year and the year before, but I think he could be their clear-cut number one. All right, here's a little bit of a different question to wrap up the rapid fire. And, Bruce, we'll start it with you. Who is the one manager who's on the hot seat going into 2021? Hottest seat? Managerially speaking, that's a great question. Um, how about the guy in? How about the guy in the Big Apple? Why not Aaron Boone? God damn, Bruce! Stop stealing my ideas, man. <laughs> well, I could I could suggest gotta be Bruce. Gotta be Bruce. Tommy, but where would that get us? Actually, yeah. well, this is so. So, being that this is the last Bruce, question, we don't Bruce, even have to keep this rapid. You could give us Bruce, a big explanation it. behind that. Bruce, it got us on this podcast. That's All right. I don't think I don't think Boone is in <laughs> danger uh, as far as the regular season is concerned. But you know, if if this if this is not a uh, at the very, very least a final four team, Aaron Boone is not back for a fourth season. Would be four years. Yeah, he's not back, whatever it is. He's not back in 2022. Uh, if this is not at least an American League finalist. And it, that might not be good enough. Hmm. Rob, who's your manager who's on the hot seat? Uh, I tell you, I, I, I'm going to stay here in the Big Apple, too, and why not go with Louis Rojas because he's proven nothing. Look, he, he came in because of the situation that happened with Carlos Beltran. You know, last year he looked like he could not handle a bullpen, although you do have to give him the benefit of the doubt. This team is built to win now. So if, if, they, if the Mets do not meet expectations, he's on the hot seat and they're going to be calling for his head. And that's just the way it is. It's the team with the most expectations right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's boom. I think you got to go further than you are in, these, in the playoffs with all that talent every year. You know, they, they just they, – they don't get over the hump and it's, you know, it's, it's – it's a tough town when that, when things like that happen. So it's got to be boom. I got an outside the box one here. I'm going to say Tony Larusa because <laughs> the White Sox got a lot of blowback for making that decision to bring in Larusa, 76 year old manager, in a game that's become so analytical and a new wave of young people coming in, and they decide to hire an old school manager. And it was, it was brought with a lot of criticism, obviously, because of the legal stuff that was going on with LaRusso right after he was hired. And this is a White Sox team that finally has the pieces to compete. If they fall flat on their face, you know, Reinsdorf might have a quick trigger. So I'm going to say LaRusso is, uh, is on the hot seat. Can I oh, like it. an honorable like mention? And I don't really think it will happen because he has such strong histories with both the owner and Derek Jeter and the new GM and Kim Ang. But I hope the Marlins give Mattingly at least one more year after this one because that's when I think that this talent level that he has down there is really ready to blossom. And I also think they'll be ready to spend. And I'd hate to see them dismiss Mattingly before he gets to enjoy the fruits of his, his laborious tenure with a, a bottom-feeding franchise like, like, like the Marlins have been for, for most of – their existence since he's been uh, running the show there. It's almost like the Buck Showalter syndrome. He was always there for the rebuild and 
built them into winners, but they wouldn't let him stay for the championship, you know? Well, he got fired by a crazy man. Yeah, yeah. Who tried to hire him back anyway after and, he yeah. fired his replacement, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I tell you, I've always thought that Mattingly was a terrific manager who was just not blessed with any sort of talent. So I think if they keep him around, I think you're right, Bruce. I think if you let the let him see the fruits of his labor, it could be beneficial for the Marlins. Um, all right, before we wrap it up, let's get into our fan questions. We have a couple tonight for all four of us. Uh, we'll start it off with my buddy, John, who sent me this question earlier in the week. He said his question is, with Zach Britton out, who do you think takes over eighth inning duties for the Yankees? Well, that has to go to Bruce Shine right there. Go ahead, Bruce. I mean, by process of elimination, it would be Chad Green. He's mm-hmm. the second best reliever, as is Zach Britton when, he, when he's healthy. So I think naturally it, it would be Chad Green they would hang their hat on, although at least for the first two games of the season, Chad Green is their, is their closer because Aroldis Chapman is also not available the first couple of games because of his Bush League antics uh, with the aforementioned Mike Brasso from last summer. But uh, Chad Green would be clearly the the – the next guy in line. Yeah. I mean, there's no other, there's no other people that you could turn to in that bullpen really to be reliable. Um, Chad green has been one of their most reliable relievers over the past few years. So I think obviously he takes the duty, but you know what? I wouldn't necessarily stick Chad green to just the eighth inning because Chad green can, he is, he does have the ability to stretch out and pitch multiple innings. So if you see the Yankees in a one, nothing two to one game, and their starters coming out after the fifth inning, I could see Chad Green maybe throwing two, three, maybe in a Seth Lugo type of swing role um, for the Yankees this year. Yeah, I mean, listen, they'll mix and match. That's that's what teams do when they lose their, you know, bona fide ace reliever. They 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 basically they don't annoy the closer for the most part. They go by but you know by the matchups, which is by the way how we should be doing this. <laughs> Period. We, we need to get away from the days of, you know, he's the closer. I mean, this has been talked about ad nauseum, and it's not just a sabermetric, darling kind of point of view. We need to be bringing in our best relief pitchers when the game is on the line, whether that's a seventh, eighth, or ninth innings. It's not always just the ninth inning when the game is potentially in peril. Well, who's the go-to guy after green? Is it Darren O'Day? Darren O'Day. Jonathan Loizaga? I mean, who is the go-to well, guy was, after Jack Green? I was going to I was going to bring up. I was going to bring them up as I thought as my point, I was going to say, well, I'm on the show a couple of weeks ago. I said, O'Day could emerge, but I think Loisaga might emerge eventually. He, I mean, he, they're going to, they're going to use him in some high leverage situations, especially, if, you know, especially, you know, once what Britain's out and, and Chapman's got to get, you know, his bearings again, once he comes back. But I would say I, I, I would look for Loisaga to be a, a big piece of this bullpen. I think he's got great stuff. He just hasn't been able to put it all together yet. Loisaga. He's always I hurt. Think, I think his stuff hurt. is electric. He's always hurt. Yeah. Unless I forget, they, they traded out of Vino, right? So throw it through a brick wall. Uh, and I agree with Tommy that, yeah, they very much fashion him uh, as kind of Chad Green light. And you'll see him in a lot of high leverage situations. Absolutely. All right. So we got two questions now from a uh, good friend of the show, Ryan Briscoe. The first one, and we talked about this a little bit before, but we'll get Tommy's input on it too. Um, he says, is the Francisco Lindor counter offer unreasonable considering it would bring him close to his age 40 season? And if so, was it on purpose in order for him to test the waters of free agency? 
Look, it's not unreasonable. It's a negotiation. It's negotiations. This is what happens in a negotiation. You know, an, an agent is doing his job for his for his client. That's it. That's all it comes down to. And they compromise, they compromise. You know, the, the Mets have a number that they want to pay. They're going to walk up to the line and not cross it. And Lindor's agent is saying, okay, let's see how much we could suck out of them. Can we suck one more year out of them by asking for two more years? Can we, can we suck another 25 million by asking for 65 million more? And you come to a compromise. I think it gets signed by tomorrow. I honestly feel that way. Like I said, I don't think, I think Lindor would have to be foolish along with his agent to turn down the type of money for the 10 years that 325 million that the Mets are offering. You are really banking on yourself, not only just to have a great season, but to stay healthy, God forbid you blow out a knee or something. I mean, that would be it's it's foolish to to turn that to turn that down and walk away from it. And nobody could criticize the Mets for what they're offering him because they offered him a hell of a deal. You know, Lindor's I think he's gonna. Trying, I think Lindor's go ahead, Bruce, to realize this isn't like a Leonard Williams situation with the Giants. They don't have the Mets over a barrel. It, they didn't give up the Kings' ransom to trade for him in the first place. And there, the alternatives are plentiful on the free agent market next offseason if he opts to go for greater riches elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're gonna. I think they'll end up in the middle, right in the middle of where Lindor wants to be and where Cohen wants to be. They'll they'll, they'll come to some kind of compromise pretty soon, like Rob said. And look, Lindor doesn't want to piss off the Met fan base right now. That's the last thing you want to do, right? You know, early in your in your New York career over here. And although, look, all things being considered, like I said, I think he's going to sign. And I think he's going to be the face of the franchise, much like when, you know, the Mets made that deal for Piazza. Piazza became the the face of the franchise. He's he's an electric player with that electric smile. He's energetic. He's somebody that the Mets had to have and need. So, and I think all things being considered, they get it done. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's done by tomorrow. Well, Bruce Bruce alluded to this before. (laughs) Maybe it's naive of me to say this because I'm not in their shoes and maybe I wouldn't know for sure unless I was in their shoes, but I just find it unfathomable to turn down $325 million. Well, yeah, but again, you know, if, if there's more money out there to be had, the agent's just doing his job. That's all he's doing. And it's not the first time this is going to happen in a negotiation, and it certainly won't be the last. They're going to try and but- squeeze blood out of a rock. That's what it comes down to. And, and Bruce, I, Bruce is right. Bruce is right about the, the but the free agents. I mean, you got Baez, Correa, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, all coming off the, as a free agent next year. But who's to say not, they won't? Who's to say they won't be signed by the time? No, they might. But but if they're yeah. not, and and Lindor doesn't sign now, the Mets could go elsewhere. You know. So and, and if Lindor goes out and has a season where he goes 50-50 and the in the. Salary begins with a four instead of a three. There is no realistic reason why a Mets fan should think that this new owner could be or would be outbid by anyone. Right, right. Not next year, no. All right, so the second question from Ryan Briscoe, who, well-noted, huge Luke Voigt fan. He says, my poor Luke. Uh, Jay Bruce is the Yankees opening day first baseman. We've seen a lot of outfielders make the transition to first. Is it out of the realm of possibility to test a guy like Mike Talkman at first base to keep, keep him in the lineup? <laughs> yeah, let's do that on opening day. Yeah, you can't try that. Let's, let's, this, let's, isn't, this, this isn't MLB The Show 21 where you can do that. 
Uh, that's that's five. that would be that. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I would think right off the bat that it's way too late to be experimenting stuff like that. If no, you wanted you him to test out first base, it would need to be a concerted effort from the beginning of spring. Yeah, sorry, Elaine no. Bettis. You can't just put anybody at first base, even if they stink. Yeah, no, I mean, it's bad <laughs> enough. They're, they're probably going to have to play Jay Bruce over there, but, you know, so be it. I, you know what, Bruce? Were you surprised they didn't bring in a big left-handed bat this year to Yankees? You know what? I don't really pay much mind to that because all their right-handed hitters, you know, rake against lefties, righties. It, it doesn't matter either way. Ideally, again, you would like to have put and do hard, give him some real playing time at third base, play LeMayhew uh, at first and go from there. But of course, Andujar is hurt as well. So, I mean, they're, they're making do with what they have. I mean, clearly it tells you what they think of Mike Ford, right? I mean, that would be your logical succession plan, at least in the interim. Big left-handed bats been on the team the last couple of years, but you know what? He's starting a year down at Scranton. So, you know, clearly that, that tells you all you need to know about what they think of him right now. Bruce is a guy that, you know, obviously his tracker is what it is. He's a solid everyday regular player had a decent spring training can handle the position. You know, I, I mean, uh, you know, voice not making anyone forget about Don Manningly and Keith Hernandez at first defensively anyway. So I don't know how much of a drop off that is. Bruce is not nearly the offensive player void is, but we're not talking about a six month injury. We're talking about a six week injury. Uh, that that's a very minor worry for the Yankees in the short term here. Having Bruce as their first base. Yeah. He, he he's, he, Look, they'll replace Void's bat. They, they've shown it last year. They replaced Judge. Uh, they will. They lost Judge for a, uh, a period of time. They lost Stanton for a period of time. And the Yankees made good. So the Yankees always they always find a way offensively. Pitching is different, but they always find a way to replace someone that's been injured on the offense. They they bring somebody up like a Talkman or a Ford. Somehow, some of these guys have produced. I mean, they could have they, they could have put Gary Sanchez at first base, although they need a roadmap to tell him how to get there. He see first base in an eternity. He doesn't know what it looks like. <laughs> Man, Bruce said that when he, he he was intense when he said that. You know what? Let's, lo- let's go lo- back. Listen, I love uncensored Bruce Shine. This is this is must. Yeah, this this is golden, Bruce. I want to go back real quick to a fan question that we actually got two years ago because. You got you, you got the uh, the two brain cells ago, cranking two here. Ago two, two years ago, calm down. You only had fifty-one shows. <laughs> Listen, we've been at it for a while. I'm starting to get a little tired. <laughs> two weeks ago, we got this question, and you just brought up Sanchez and, and and made a joke about it. So that got me thinking. I'm curious to what your answer to this would be. A couple weeks ago, we got a, a question from a listener who said, "What is a realistic stat line to expect from Gary Sanchez this year?" No. First of all, unfortunately, I wasn't joking about Sanchez. <laughs> Secondly, a realistic uh, 220, 23 home runs, 65 RBIs. I, I think the guy, this he's not a one-year wonderment. You know, 2020 was not the outlier. This has been going on for years now. Maybe he's a change of scenery guy. I don't think so. It's just not happening for him here. He's a complete zero. I don't have any faith on him being any kind of positive contributor in any way, shape, or form. I think the catching position for the New York Yankees is an absolute unequivocal black hole. So here's a, here's a follow-up question to that. He's winning MVP. (laughs) (laughs) By game 162 or at the conclusion of game 162. Um, 
assuming the Yankees are going into the postseason, whatever, is Gary Sanchez still wearing a Yankees uniform by the end of the 162 game schedule? Yes, I still think he'll be on their 40 man roster. Oh, 40 man roster. So, huh? Yeah, I don't Bruce, think I, 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 this was, I was on the show with him. I said he would be sent down eventually because he's, he's that bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they, I, I don't know what the option situation is like for him. And that's really, you know, I don't think anybody all that much cares about that sort of thing. I just think that at $6 million, they're not going to be, they could designate him for assignment. Uh, and that typically means you've played your last game for the franchise, as we've seen. But I don't see anybody forking over any kind of considerable money for Gary Sanchez if he shows that the last, few years have been the rule and not the exception. They are stuck with him and they're stuck with him because they made that commitment to pick up that option. So yeah. they're going to sink or swim with him. Maybe a change of scenery works, but this is the, the Yankees made their bed. They got to sleep in it now. Well, look, I mean, they have, they, well, cause they, they, they have didn't to have, have to, leash. they didn't have Sanchez. to tender him the contract guys, guys. Isn't another big part of this problem. That just, that there's a dearth of catching in the, in the sport right Absolutely. now. There's no, Absolutely. Where right. are your alternatives? I'm not saying there weren't other avenues. The Yankees couldn't have explored, but you know, Gary Carter and Johnny bench weren't out there to be had either. It, it might be, if you go around the diamond, the weakest position in major league baseball right now, there's just not a lot of catching out there. Well, I, I said this from the very beginning of the offseason because, uh, you know, obviously I can't speak for the majority of the fan base, but obviously when you're on social media, that is the ultimate court of public opinion. And a lot of people were saying that the Mets signing McCann was just them being cheap and not wanting to fork up money for Real Muto. And I said, listen, I think Real Muto is a hell of a player, but I think that his success is a little over-exaggerated because of the scarcity of catchers around baseball. Like, there's no one else that's putting up any sort of output. So I think that highlights JT Real Muto that much more. If he was playing maybe 20 years ago, I don't think that he would be regarded as such this Hall of Fame type player. Again, listen, I think the Mets had the wherewithal where they could have waited out the Real Muto market. They just didn't want to be stuck lying there on the vine until, you know, late January. Because, I, I again, there's a scarcity at the position. So if they waited, point. they would not have a backup plan. Precisely. Yeah. Because if they wait out Riamuto and for whatever reason that doesn't come to fruition and McCann's long gone, then where do we go? Hello, Thomas Nito. No, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, brings it back to the days of Kevin Plowicki. But, you know, then you look at another struggling catcher that was over there in Queens and look at his performance last year, especially in the playoffs for the Atlanta Braves and Travis Dono. He was batting cleanup for them. A He's a free agent next year, too. He's going to get bottom. paid. He might get paid. He's and all of a sudden, agent. he found his game. And let's not forget, he was the key in that trade. In that R.A. Dickey trade, he was the key player, not Syndergaard. It was Travis Tonneau. Syndergaard yep. was the secondary guy. Yeah, he's yeah. really had a you know a nice couple of seasons with Tampa and last year with Atlanta. Durability yeah. had been as much an issue as productivity. Absolutely. Tonneau as well. It's not like he wasn't granted his fair shake in Queens. And he admittingly said he, he was better off in the environment in Tampa and Atlanta than he was in New York. He wasn't crazy about the whole media thing and everything in New York. So he, yeah, he seems like said a quiet, that. reserved guy. But you know what? I yeah. think that that highlights that that's like peak Mets mismanagement and dysfunction, the way they they handled that whole scenario. Look, Travis Darno didn't do himself any favors with his performance, but the Mets decision to tender him a contract coming off Tommy John surgery 
and then proceeding to cut him two weeks into the season after he had about 12 at bats. I just thought it was asinine. I mean, why tender him the contract in the first place? If you're only going to give him a handful of at bats and then, and then cut bait with them. It, it didn't make any sense. Right. It was just, it was severe mismanagement, but yes. um, all right. So opening day is on Thursday, Bruce. I can't even thank you enough for hopping on with us tonight. I mean, you were just spectacular. We've been wanting to have you on for so long. And uh, for, for baseball preview, two weeks, two, two days away from opening day, you were the perfect person. Tommy, thank you for making it happen. But, Bruce, thank you for coming on and joining us. It was a Fellas, blast. I can't thank you guys enough. I've been big fans of your work. Uh, you know, again, you could have shown me some uh, love. I, I got kicked to the curb six weeks ago. I, I had to wait this long for an invite. But <laughs> seriously, I've been dying for someone to talk to. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, was, uh, I was more than more than thrilled when I heard you guys were interested in having me on. Oh, listen, you're always welcome back, Bruce. Well, yeah, have the invitation's again, always believe open. Me. Because you're so well-rounded, uh, you know, with your knowledge uh, with football and baseball. And so it's it's great to have you. So we'll, we'll definitely be having you back. We'll be calling you again. Don't worry about that. Yeah, we'll do two hours of lacrosse next time. I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could have you on for Wimbledon. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we'll get we'll get Bruce on for the the, the live draft because he he's chomping at the bit for my mock anyway. So we'll get his live reaction to uh. Yeah, to right. listen, you, you know you got to love the NFL. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year, the NFL never stops. There's no such never. thing as too much NFL. No, as no, much no. As I agree. revere and adore baseball. It, it there's no greater truism. Baseball is our national pastime. The NFL is our national passion. Absolutely. And you know, we were talking off the air. We were talking off the air about maybe hopefully taking off a little bit, expanding this thing into the four score podcast network. And we were even thinking maybe, you know, we gain enough traction. We get enough followers. We can even start charging a subscription for the Tommy Locker and mock draft. Listen, that's how Mel Kuyper started 35, 40 years ago. So you got to start from somewhere, right? You know? Never mind the mock draft. I'm, I'm billing Tommy for these last two hours I put in. <laughs> <laughs> I told Tommy we got to put Tommy? him on payroll to be our booking manager because he did a great job. <laughs> but, I mean, no. See, we, we're, we're putting Tommy on a pedestal for pulling these strings for us. And then Bruce comes on. He's like, hey, I've been waiting to come on for six weeks. What's been the holdup? So Tommy uh, really you know, didn't do anything. Yeah. Tommy Listen, brought up I, our podcast. I'm like, yeah, I know those guys. What are you talking about? Oh, oh, oh finally. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I told the bottom, him bottom weeks of the ago. He was, now, aren't you? I Bruce, don't worry. We got ago. your digits. Now we got your digits, Bruce. So yeah, now we don't need the middleman. We now don't we need the middleman directly. We cut yeah. him right out. Guys, Bruce, anytime. Bruce and, I were li- Bruce and I were licking our wounds for the first three or four weeks. So, we, you know, I wanted to give, give him some time to, you know, Relax and get his head right. You know that's what I was doing. That's oh, all. I got my second win now, baby. Look out! <laughs> He's ready. Look out! He's fired up. I love it. <laughs> I know. Listen, as, as we went on, we started getting unfiltered, uncensored, Bruce, and it was a good time. Oh, we just got to start enough. from there. Listen, I've I've had 13 years of that of that sitting close near him or talking to him every, every day. I love unfiltered, uncensored. Well, that's why I want to get that's the best Bruce. That's why I want to get him on a few more times, just to give him a, more of a comfort level with me and Andrew. And I want to get the uncensored Bruce because you're on a podcast. <laughs> it's uncensored. That's it. Listen, Tommy is our draft expert, but to Bruce, Tommy is his punching bag. <laughs> no, Bruce. Listen, Bruce loves my draft stuff. He loves my football stuff. Again, he knows. I, 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 Tommy's daily giant intakes 
from my estimation are a must have. I cannot get through the day without inquiring something about the Giants, getting Tommy's take on it. Because the one thing about Tommy, as much as I alluded to with your with your podcast in general, it's hot take, it's original, it's not hacked. And for me, the Giants are 365, seven, you know, uh, 24 seven. Yeah, I'm the oh, same yeah. way with that. I love Definitely. the Giants. And oh, the yeah. NFL is king. There's always news. It's There's king. always news. Always. Yep. That's the way it works. So, but, Bruce, again, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Like we said, the invitation is always open. If you're ever bored, if you're ever chomping at the bit to talk about something, anything at all, you let us yeah, know, just, and the invitation is always open. I'm going to uh, get your digits from Andrew, and I'll send you mine. And then anytime you want to jump on, whatever you want to do. I mean, you know, we're always here. Guys, anytime, uh, I'd be fortunate to, to be welcomed on again. So anytime, really, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. And of course, Tommy, we're only teasing. Thanks for making it happen. And thanks for hopping on with us for our fan questions, over-unders. Even though you butchered the over-unders for a little bit, we, we got uh, the thing you, back you, on track and, and we were able to get it to- just get rid of that in post. I, we, uh, we don't uh, at this out. point, we, we've been ragging on you for, about it. Everyone's going to be wondering, what the hell is he talking about? I, I got to keep it fine. in now. I got to keep I, it in. I, I rebounded. I gave two, I gave the crystal ball. Two, two, two looks into the crystal ball, my over-under. So, that, you know, your fans will be thankful in October. <laughs> when, they can, when they're cashing their 20 to 1 Angels tickets, you guys will have the last laugh. <laughs> and we, we, don't give out, we don't give out gifts or swag bags or Boulevard watches on this podcast, but I do offer – our guest dinner. So anytime you come into Staten Island with Tommy, Bruce, you guys want to come in, we go to dinner. Bruce, we'll go to La Strada. You got to have the pork chop La Strada, Bruce, with the mixed peppers. I was well, I was stuff. wondering when we were going to get to the fringe benefits. Thank you. <laughs> oh. I didn't forget you, Bruce. Thank you. <laughs> Thank but, you That'll do it for episode 53. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Andrew May underscore 21. You can follow me on Instagram, A underscore May 21. That's where the links for the podcast are posted. We're recording Tuesday, March 30th. Um, it'll be up tomorrow afternoon, March 31st. Um, so we'll get that going. And you can follow Rob on Twitter as well, RobOG6 with two Bs, not to be confused with one B. There's some random user out there with one B that might be getting their followers up because some people are misspelling. Guy's a Rob hack. O- he's, he's a hack. <laughs> he doesn't give you a good podcast. We give you a good podcast here. RobOG6, that's two Bs. Uh, Bruce, do you have any social media to plug? No, I'm more Twit than Twitter. What you see is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So once again, thanks thanks so much to Bruce for coming on. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, follow us, shoot us some text, get your fan questions in for next week. If you want to submit a question, fourscore the podcast at gmail.com. And uh, baseball's underway, so we'll be back next week to recap how things start. We're off. all excited for baseball, and we got baseball this month and the draft April 29th. And the NFL draft. draft. What's and better draft. than that? Something and, and to look forward to. Once he gets that mock draft going, that's it's gonna it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot, lot of fun. fun. Oh, and also uh, Bruce will jump on too for the mock draft. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I love it. Yeah, and uh, just a uh, couple quick notes. Any time in and around the Fourth of July, you want to hand that baby over to me? I'd be more than happy. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I've been dealing with the last few years when I give Bruce the mock. When, Tommy, when, he's, when he sends the amended one, right? <laughs> Unreal. Only uh, one. There's only one, baby. Two quick notes before we get off, too, because we didn't touch on any other sports, but. Uh, Gonzaga is going to the final four. They just defeated USC 85-66. And uh, 
the Rangers came from behind and defeated the Capitals 5-2. to two, So, much-needed win for them. We talked about we're pessimistic about their chances, but uh, nice win against Washington to hopefully get things on the right track. But that will do it there, for... There was, a, there was a scary moment in that Gonzaga game. One of the referees collapsed. With the officials, yes. Is, have Early you heard on in the game, yeah. Is he good? I haven't seen, I haven't seen, any, I haven't seen any real updates about it. Yeah, I saw I'm that in the sure. very beginning, but I haven't really been checking social media that much. So I haven't seen any word on whether he's okay. But, yeah, prayers out to him. Hopefully he's all good. And now uh, you got Michigan and UCLA tipping off for the uh, the final final four bid tonight. So uh, be sure to stay tuned into that. But uh, thanks oh, again, he's as actually, always. He's, he's okay. I just, I just, he's okay. He didn't even have to go to the hospital, they said. He was lightheaded. So okay. thank God for that. All right, good, good. So we don't have to end things on a somber note. He's okay. That's good to hear. Uh, But thanks as always, everyone, for listening. Thanks to those who submitted their questions. Like I said, if you want to submit some next week, fourscorethepodcast at gmail.com. Streaming on all platforms. Episode will be out tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for their continued support. Thanks to Tommy and Bruce for hopping on with us. For Rob Dufresne, I'm Andrew May. We will see you guys next week. Peace.